Hey there, Nandor the Relentless. This is Ineash. Hey, Ineash, this is Steven. Why do they call you Relentless? <laughs> Shoot, he had a good answer for that. I think it was because he conquered relentlessly or something. I, I believe uh, <laughs> I believe the answer was because I was relentless. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the couple episodes of the new season? Oh, the new season's out already? Oh, you're in for a treat, sir. Oh, I thought it wasn't until next week. Nope, last week. Fuck yeah. But wait, you know why you thought that? Because why that's Sorry. what the internet said. Well, why and would the internet lie to I me? I don't know, but they were all they were on Hulu today or a week early. Yeah, they're supposed to come out today. Uh, well, I'm I'm glad they're out early. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. So there there's a line in there that uh will come up in like the second chapter, and so I'll reference it at that point that explains why it shows Nandor the Relentless. Okay, excellent. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, uh, what is it that we do here, Stephen? We do not talk about what we do in the shadows, which I don't know if we mentioned that's what that's from. Everyone should watch it. We, instead, we talk about Alexander Wales web serial, Worth the Candle, in our podcast, Not Everything is a Clue. Heck yeah, we do. Uh, we have a Patreon where you can actually, no, stop the Patreon thing. Before all that, Worth the Candle is available at booksellers, um, online booksellers near you. Uh, I assume every online bookseller is near you. Uh, but you <laughs> they're can, all the same distance. You can, <laughs> yes, you can buy the first two fifths of it uh, because I believe it's coming out in five parts, uh, and you can also get it on Audacity uh, if you want that. We have links to those in our show notes. We also have links to Alexander Wales' Patreon if you want to support him directly, and links to our Patreon if you want to support us directly in this thing that we're doing. And also, we kick back fifteen percent to Alexander Wales because that's just what you do if uh, if you have a podcast about someone else's stuff, right? Yes. Okay, good. I- I'm glad <laughs> we are in accord. I assume uh, we are. Even- I'll be honest. I actually tuned out for a second as reading the from the audience questions. So, I'll, But I'll, oh. I'll blanketly agree with whatever you just said. Excellent. So now you owe me the soul of your firstborn. Deal. All right. Uh, shall we get into the from the audience then? Yeah, let's do it. There were quite a few this time. Uh, I'm going to first pull out one that was actually from a little ways back. Uh, Feeping Creature wrote that June could destroy Felseed with the Vorbal Blade because Felseed was the master of the original blade, but not the master of the copy. That's why the copying and Tad mattered. Uh, I thought that was an interesting point. I, I don't know if it's true, but it is uh, the fact that June attacked him with the uh, the Bethel copy of the Vorbal Blade rather than the original one. So that's neat. I can dig it. I mean, I think that if we were to poke at it, well, I guess this book gets away with it. Like, if this was Methods of Rationality, that'd be the explanation, right? Mm-hmm. This book can just say, because it was narratively satisfying, right? Yes, that's because true. Because this time it was supposed to work. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it kind of like with Harry Potter, like, the Elder Wand makes no sense. Oh, you can't defeat the wielder, but it still changes hands, and whoever beats the wielder is now the owner of it, <laughs> right? Yeah. And Methods was like, oh, I beat Grindelwald to exhaustion. That was how I won. And that's maybe yeah. how we won in canon, but then, you know, Snape kills him and i think harry is the inherits the elder wand i can't remember who whatever but like in canon it is yeah but i i I just know that like there's anyway point is is that i think this might have been intended intended to be as sensible as that right right it's like it does it when it's narratively appropriate but Mm -hmm. i like this explanation so Mm -hmm. I, i like it when things have an explanation right exactly awesome this you want to grab this next one yeah this is a good uh speaking of explanation sort of things uh gad bb on the reddit on the discord said that if june had been had if june had been their first failed tracking test would they have generated a different hypothesis 
They seem fixated on the multiple copies theory rather than special DM-related status or other ideas. Example hypothesis, the crystal tracking fails for June and Amaryllis because they're both PCs slash DMPCs of some kind. That's an interesting hypothesis. Since we did earlier talk about like maybe this is therapy for both June and Amaryllis, if they're both PCs, it just might not work on PCs. It's possible. I wonder, I mean, they can test this when, you know, if they decide to, or depending on how things shake out, when they get back and Amaryllis doesn't have clones anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But I, Assuming the crystal still works when not in the long stairs. Oh, that's a good point. But the other main thing is that it did work to track Uther. And while it's possible he was an NPC, I don't want to believe that he was. Yeah, I think he's he would definitely be a PC as well. I think uh, it was, I was going to say it was uh, Jules, but it was Nick Fury just using the Jules voice in Iron Man 2. He's like, I'm the most real man. You, I'm, I'm the most real person you've ever met. Um <laughs> It, his voice just he says motherfucker but he doesn't say it out loud you know? <laughs> right he says it in his voice right he says it in pg-13 yeah all right well get baby also says uh about the long stairs in general this is june waking up right the long stairs is gradually pulling away the sense of reality and immersion it's not just magic and companions that are going it's an emotional transition to earth he's getting ready for accepting that air was a game and it is time to go home and we know from this week's reading that this is not actually what happens, but it is a very good hypothesis. And the Longstairs really does feel like that, like waking up, coming out of a game, all that was unreal is falling away. And uh, I wanted to highlight it because of that. I like it too. And, you know, the fact that it turned out wrong doesn't make it less of an interesting idea. One piece of supporting evidence would have been like things got more sensible and orderly the higher they went. Mm-hmm. But it really did seem perfectly random until they got to the top, right? Other than like the companions and magic failing. But other than that, like all the rooms are just as crazy as the rooms before that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But still. Although technically weren't the monsters getting less powerful and less magical too? Yeah. Just getting harder for June because they were losing power at a faster rate. That's a good point. But like there's like that cool, you know, death loop room where the bodies yeah. stay and other weird shit. So I, I would think like, you know, the bottom rooms would be... Oh, look, if you turn left, you actually like change colors. And if you turn right three times, you're like in a different, you're, you're upside down or whatever. And like, as you Neat. work your way up, things get more sensible. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it's still a fun idea. Yeah. Well, uh, I think I should read this next one from Kikolahayam because uh, it pertains directly to me. You got added. Uh, yes, I did. Where I said, uh, June, you already swore off a relationship with Fen. You aren't going to be in a relationship with Fen. You don't have any say over who she dates, so leave it alone. Uh, back when June was feeling uh, salty that Fen was making googly eyes at Uther. And uh, the uh, Kekulheim says, bold of you to assume that he was je- that the one he was jealous over was Fen. And I was like, oh, that, okay, yeah, duh. And also someone else pointed out that I think... You said that the same basic sort of thing soon after, but like I missed it. Maybe I was distracted or something. I missed it too. Um, I don't remember <laughs> saying that, that or thinking it? that. Uh, oh, oh, okay. My my read on the scene was Uther was giving a smile, wink, nudge, nudge to Fen. Mm-hmm. Is there some other interpretation? Uh, no, but the, like whether Juden was the question is whether June was jealous that uh, Fen might run off to Uther. Was he jealous of the Fen leaving thing or was he jealous of Uther catching someone else's attention rather than, you know, just June's? Oh, no, I think it's, I think it's the first read. Um, and if I implied the second, then 
I guess I'll take the points, but uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to. No, I think, I mean, June wouldn't be jealous that Uther's into his companions because he wants them all to himself, right? Um, I mean, I, if, I think- if Uther went off and palled around with Fen, yeah, you know, that'd be one thing. But if, if he wanted to bang Fen, Uther wouldn't be like, but what about me? Or excuse me, June wouldn't say, but what about me, right? And strictly textually, maybe, but I really enjoy gay readings of anything. And uh, so this this would be very much one of those things where like, aha, there's gay subtext and I'm into it. Where where June, you know, doesn't want to admit that his feelings for uh, Arthur range into the romantic, but technically they kind of do because it's hard to separate feelings. Um, maybe. I don't know. I, I've always kind of felt that way. So I thought maybe uh, I... I I enjoy those sorts of readings at the very least. That's funny. I I tend not to, and I would have assumed you disliked them too, because they always feel like forced and um, shoehorned in by like a very motivated fan base. In my experience, like uh, I mean, and, and the text is pretty explicit about what his what his feelings towards Arthur are. And I liked in Methods of Rationality when people are like, oh, are you under the impression that Hermione was your one true love or something? And he's like, no, why does everyone have to always assume it's about that? <laughs> right? Uh, like, can't right. we just be friends? Um, yeah. And I mean, obviously they can, but no, I find those sorts of things really fun. I've I've enjoyed from the very beginning, like reading into things and finding subtext and shit. And uh, even when it's not really there, I think it's more fun to read works that way. Oh, good. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, more power to you. I'm glad you like it. I, it's funny. I remember like there was in, in Thor Ragnarok when, uh, Hulk shows up and Loki's like, I got to get off this planet. And he turns around and Jeff Goldblum puts his hand on his chest. And he's like, hold on, where are you going? Uh, apparently people were like, Oh, they've been banging in his orgy ship. <laughs> and I'm like, awesome. that's a huge leap <laughs> yeah. from like, Hey, I'm the king god man of this planet, and I didn't say you could leave. Like mm-hmm. to oh, we're definitely secret lovers on the DL, right? Yeah. Like Rem- I, I just uh, that seemed forced. Remember the first new bad Star Wars where um Finn and who's the other guy? They Jake. were the two Finn and Jake. Okay, no, yeah. no, sorry. Raised- I'm, I'm Jake. Oh, no. Jake the dog and Finn the human was from Adventure oh, Time. Oh yeah, uh, no. Poe. Uh, no, Poe. That's right. Finn and Poe raised two sidekicks. Uh, that there was like nothing gay at all about them. And yet when people, the movie came out, there was all this gay, like, look how gay they are for each other. Oh my God, they're in love. It's adorable. And I was like, that is super cool. And I mean, obviously that's not in the text, but I, I have fun with that kind of thing, even though it is, you know, forced, just trying to find little hints like that. I've always enjoyed more little hints that aren't really there, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, it's funny. Like I say, I don't like to give people a hard time for things that they enjoy, even if I don't. <laughs> and yet mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm, I'm actually not overcoming any emotion of like forcing myself to say that. I'm like, no man, more power to you. I cool. just, I, I don't have that in me. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, one last thing uh, regarding the crystal people that on that landing would make you pick a crystal before you could leave. Uh, Spinagon asks, what if you really want to visit Sentinel Islands, but as soon as you step there, locals will attack and kill you? Are you just justified in preemptively killing everyone from a helicopter? Is Sentinel Islands a reference to something? Uh, I I assume it's some island with natives on it that chuck spears at you, oh. because I know something like that exists. Oh, okay, cool. Gotcha. Um, so am I, am I preemptively justified... And killing them from a helicopter because I know that they'll kill me? No. Are you fucking crazy? Like, 
it so if uh you know just just um say you've got a neighbor who mm-hmm. has a big hard on for the stand your ground law right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know that and you know that if you kick the door into their house they're going to shoot you so instead you snipe them through the window like <laughs> no it's their house right yeah that's yeah. that's my take i think I mean, I, I basically agree with you. I, I'm kind of of the opinion that, well, I guess they were there on the island first. If they're going to kill anyone that steps foot onto it, uh, just don't step foot onto it. But Yeah, I don't know if like uh, the the legal notion of dibs carries over, but I think they have dibs, right? <laughs> I, I My intuition basically agrees with you, but what if uh, on that island there was, I don't know, some plant that only grows there that can cure aging? <laughs> like... At that point, I think we'd be like, you know what? As much as you like your island, for the greater good of all of humanity, we're going to take this thing. And if we have to kill you to get it, then just don't make us do that, please. Yeah. No, I I mean, certainly you, if you push the, the calculus up enough, then, you know, you're entitled to kill all of them. You know, just like Amaryllis is entitled to kill her clones and whoever else gets in her way to help destroy the hells. Um, yeah. Well, I, think- I mean, and also it's it's weird because like this is a choke point that all people have to pass through this and uh and accept this crystal or or to get to the other side so it's kind of involuntary and justified that one would fight back against this but like we have tons of choke points on earth and they we have a long and storied history of people building forts or whatever on the choke points and being like okay pay me tax money or or you know some sort of uh fee to get over here and whether that's like a legitimate tariff or whether that's a bandit standing on a bridge demanding your money is still, I'm not sure how, how big the difference is there. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I guess the, the other thing is that this isn't like a place people have to go through, right? This, it is. If you want to get to the other side of the, well, stairs. sure. Just like I have to go through my neighbor's house if I want to get to his backyard. Right. <laughs> right. Like, so, you know, I, I get that. Like, this is the only path between the place that, our characters want to go to but it's like no one's making them go through there other than them other than them themselves um but can you can you prevent people from going from one side of uh i don't know a continent to the other side just because you have quote unquote dibs on the strip of land that connects them <laughs> uh if uh if you can hold down the dibs i guess you know some, some <laughs> you know i i don't know if i can generalize a rule to everything but i do think that uh the way the question was initially phrased um, am I justified in killing everyone from a helicopter just because I know that if I land there, they'll kill me? I'm like, mm-hmm. hell no. Like, that's their house, right? Right. They get eminent domain on that. And for me to kill them so I can enter their house is insane. Um, but <laughs> I like Gad BB's response here. That's not what Uther did. He was super on board with the body modification and just wanted the high-end limited edition stuff. <laughs> <laughs> He's killing for convenience. I mean... I, I good, can dig good it. Point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in Uther's defense, I think that people on Arab are of, of questionable um, sapience, and people in Long Stairs, I think, more so. Right. And I mean, his whole deal is that he doesn't think it's real, so the deaths don't matter. the The more tricky thing is, you know, is that the case? Because there's been people on Earth who've been like, "Oh, no one is real, so their deaths don't matter," and we generally had to lock them up because they were crazies. Well, they're crazy, but you know, Arthur's in a in a fantasy story. Like his, his situation is different. I think that the thing is, like in all the other rooms, 
it's it's probably like whatever you do there is probably morally wiped out the second that you close the door but the landings have have continuity mm-hmm. so something there carries over but you know he's uh he had to crack a few eggs to to make the escape to earth omelets so yeah i also liked uh wes's uh justification which i think you you referenced here too uh wes actually says yeah it, it is okay to helicopter those people it's generalizable that any society that kills people indiscriminately, regardless of circumstances, uh, is is bad. So, like he says, if a neighbor is going to kill anyone who steps foot on their property for any reason, it's probably fine to shoot them. Hmm. And, yeah, I mean, I, I know the UK has a, a right to roam law, which says basically you can pass through anybody's property as long as you don't damage it or do anything. Uh, you're, you're allowed to walk from one end to the other. Does that include going through their front door and not their back door? I don't think so. Well, that's good. I believe it's it's just open land. Oh, but, I mean, uh, you know, you the know. U.S. doesn't have that. Well, open land, a lot most people don't even have that. They have fences, but you know, I mean, I think you're allowed to hop the fence. Okay, well, that's that's part of the right to roam thing. Part of the reason we don't, we do don't have damage. that is because if someone hops my fence and if I had a fence and they broke their arm, I'm liable for it, right? <laughs> we can't have it both ways where they're both allowed. They're allowed to climb my fence, and I'm at fault if they break their stupid arm, like. <laughs> I don't think you're actually liable for that. They can sue. Um, I mean, I think they can try, but it's you're going to have a long road to hoe to to prove that case that you you had some liability. Yeah. Unless like you set up a booby trap on the other end. It seems like a long shot. It's funny that the lawyer though would take the sta- take the stance of like, no, forget eminent domain, uh forget property, like they're they're crazy. But he's not talking as a lawyer, he's talking as a sane person. So, those are not always the same thing. So, I could, I can dig it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that was fun. It was. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Let's get into 243, Long Memory. All right. Uh, at this point, we are continuing up the stairs, and Raven gets to a room where she can't go any further. Her extra-dimensional space that keeps all her L-long weirdness uh, inside her is about to explode. And she's in intense pain, and Uther kneels down to her and says, It's your time to go. I appreciated seeing you one last time, but if you go further, you will die. There were always parts of my adventures you couldn't go on, places you couldn't travel, things you couldn't be allowed to see. We must all accept our lot in life. And June comments, I don't know if he intended it to be cruel, but that was how it came out to me. And my question was like, is that cruel what he said? Like, to me, it didn't sound cruel at all. It just sounded like, I'm sorry, this sucks, but this is the way it is. Um you know, my partner Charlie says that people who say, well, that's life are full of shit and that's BS and she hates it. So I don't know. Maybe it is cruel. Didn't sound to me like cruel. What's going on? I mean, that's life might suck to hear, but I don't know if it's BS. Um, I think people who say that, they're, like, they're not telling you anything worth hearing. Maybe that's what she's getting at. And I think often her point is that oftentimes when people say that, it's just an excuse to not change anything. They're like, oh, yeah. well, you know, people get old and die. That's life, you know? Like, well, you know, we could fix that. Or, well, people sometimes get infections and die. That's life. It's like, we have antibiotics. Like, uh, I think that's that's what she often hears it as. And even when that's not the case, just the fact that she heard it that many times, it really pisses her off. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, maybe heartbreak is is life, but you wouldn't want to, like, fix that problem, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, at least you'd want to be very careful how to fix it. But I think that uh, I think it's coming off as like sarcastic because 
Arthur and June are having a tiff and Mm -hmm. it occurs to me that the wordplay there is intended and I bet it's also intended by Alexander Wales now that I think about it. Um, Wait, were they talking about Tiff while they were having this Tiff? No, but Tiff is Tiff's name. But it's not really wordplay if they weren't having a Tiff about Tiff. No, but they they have had they you know they bordered on a tiff about tiff and the fact that we get to say <laughs> tiff about tiff i think her name could have been anything else right very well all right and i think if if i was june and i was trying to like and i was whatever motivated to read sarcasm into this i think he had just talked about ripping off his best rando quotes from earth mm-hmm. and so like he you know he says says something like that sounds super sincere and moving but it's like, dude, you read that from Lord of the Rings or some shit, right? Like, hmm. but may, maybe that's what June's kind of thinking. But, you know, it struck, I don't know what, what else, you know, Uther could have said here, right? I, I think I he, mean, I think he sat, sat down and said the nicest thing, right? Yeah, I think so too. Maybe it's more because June is like still in his teens and, and just hearing someone say you have to accept the shitty thing is something that you're much more likely to rebel against as a teenager. And I think that's probably good. Uh, honestly, it's better to be rebellious and to rage against stuff when you're younger. And it's not until you get beaten down by life <laughs> that it's time to start accepting that you can't change everything. Maybe that could be, you know, I, I think he's just at this point, he's still trying to work his feelings out with, with Arthur. Yeah. You know, if he had said this, if Arthur, if, if uh Raven had made it to the second to last room, I don't think June would have taken this the least bit sarcastically, you know, you don't, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Eh, who knows? Yeah, but all right. I, I did like uh, Fen. I think this. So she she's like, oh, I'll get uh, I'll get Raven back. She's I basically I've been looking for a place to bail, and she says, all right, fine, fine. Smell you later. And then, oh wait, I never got a chance to use it, but more like schlong stairs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, he says, I'm glad we got you back, even if it was only for a bit. She's like, sure, sure. I love you too, but I'm leaving. Don't make me white fang you. And then she just leaves. And I think that's probably exactly how Fen would have wanted her time in the story to end. Aww. Like, I'm going to leave on a sarcastic joke. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was probably she didn't moon them on the way out, right? Just like, just something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, th- I think uh, it's that that was, I think she got the ending that she wanted. And then, you know, Raven didn't she had to be pulled basically kicking and screaming and yeah. the only reason she wasn't kicking and screaming is because she was too disabled by pain um yeah you know it's uh it's tough but i i don't know it was it was an interesting way to get them off the scene right yeah i wonder raven is almost almost portrayed as a sort of dumb lovesick girl here where it's like no i won't leave you i'll rage and scream even if it kills me I guess that's okay. I feel it's like a little unfair to her character, but I think that's one reading. I think it's more like it, it doesn't have to be like a lovesick pine, you know, kind of like, like Sam chasing Frodo into that river. Yeah. You know, and despite your love of reading gay undertones to stuff, um, <laughs> I think that you can read that totally hetero and he's just like, no, I love you. And I made a promise to Gandalf and I'm not letting this happen. Right. Oh, you can. And in the books, I hear they were far more straight, but I swear in the movies, they were playing up the gay angle. That's, and again, that, that aside though, uh, it doesn't, I, I mean, pretend for a minute they, that they weren't, 
mm-hmm. pre- pretend for a second that they were straight. That scene still mm-hmm. works because he's not he's not chasing his his one true love. He's chasing his best yeah. friend and the person he admires a lot and that sort of stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. Or um, Boromir, same thing. You know, I would have followed you to the end. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's all that Raven wanted here. She was a knight. You know, she. You're right. She was. She grew up in a. Well, she first started growing up in a much older time where they had more of the medieval sort of norms. Yeah. And she didn't even get to fall in battle. You know, she just like, oh, no, I'm crippled because we took me to a stupid fucking room. Um, <laughs> yeah. My organs are expanding. Yeah. So mm. um, I think, oh, yeah. So June lets uh, Arthur and Amaryllis move on because Arthur just wants to bail. Um, I think, you know, one read could be that he was being a dick about it. Another could be that it was actually hard for him to leave and he had to resist, resist the temptation. You know, he's mm. keeping his eye perfectly on the ball of like, I'm getting through that door, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but anyway, so June lets him and Amarillo's get ahead. So when he does catch up to them, um, I thought it was going to be like a whole thing. And I think I spent, you know, a couple minutes like thinking about it and writing out this long thing. And then like, it was like a paragraph later. So when I caught up to them, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> so nothing all right great but uh yeah. um, he's got the crystals he does well but i figured like you know while they're gone uh oh bad shit could happen bad shit could have happened you know emeralds could have been cut in half arthur could be dying like could have been a whole mm-hmm. thing they split the party uh, mm-hmm. but uh anyway when he gets there emeralds is just crushing him in an argument and mm-hmm. we walk in and the, you know context aside this is just like the most rationalist argument ever. Just like you're attempting to apply a framework to reality that, excuse me, if you're attempting to apply a framework to reality and find that some parts fit, but others don't, it's a sign that something is fundamentally wrong with the framework. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't even need to know what they're talking. I mean, we know what they're talking about just because we know what the context would be, but you know, a devoid yeah. of context, that is, that is a rationalist argument. If I've ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, I, I yeah. I, I love Amaryllis for, for that reason in specific, she's she's the ideal rationalist almost all the time. Yeah. And it's wonderful. Yeah, she's epic. From now on, when we're trying to be all rational and stuff, we can ask ourselves, what would Amaryllis do? Man, yeah, I suppose. I'm hoping I'll be, you know, my, I might be have to give up some of my rationality credentials, but I don't want to be quite as cutthroat. You know, she, yeah. she just shot that dude in the face to take his soul to power that motorcycle, you know? You're right. I... Granted, I mean, she, she yeah. that's that she it's almost like what would professor quirrell do except she's actually capable <laughs> of love right yes and and somewhat less evil so, yeah i mean i think i think her heart's actually in the right place because she actually has a heart yeah yeah but exactly other than that she's very she went to the the quirrell school of rationality yes i before we moved on real quick i did want to say uh taking this narrative from uther's point of view it's amazing how well it fits that he's offered these temptations and to go back and the temptations keep getting stronger like the first one is just like hey here's your cool entad look at how cool it is now and he's like nope uh, done with that it's a ring now i'm gonna ignore anything as to say and then like uh Grack is like look at this like skill that you had there's all these new vistas to explore he's like mm, yeah no not gonna go for it but then like raven a a basically kind of daughter figure from his earlier life screaming and crying and begging him to take her with him uh him or or turn around or something and like you have to tell this person who you basically had as an adopted daughter by forever i'm not your father like that is that is a much harder temptation to resist 
and now Amaryllis is doing the thing where uh like he he passed he passed the the you know shinies test he passed the cool new skill upgrades that you can play with test he passed the person that you love begs you test now there's the uh emotional uh, the rational argument test that Amaryllis presents him and he defeats that one too it's just like it it it, it totally fits from the narrative view of Uther being tempted to return to earth and he keeps winning yeah, like that's that's why I said, you know, he he's good at keeping his eye on the ball and he does it to the exclusion of everything else, which is, you know, like a, a narrow sightedness that in ordinary circumstances with the ordinary people would be like off-putting and mean, but he's not mm-hmm. in ordinary circumstances. You know, the other major temptation he just says basically tells us to go pound sand is, "Hey, look, it's your friend Juniper," right? Yeah. He's just it's, like, it's, no, it's not. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's got the linear protocol running almost, his own version of it. That yeah. Like, that's yeah, awesome. No matter that's what, I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah. So, yes, Amaryllis is talking with him, and she is saying to him that uh, his narrative hypothesis works in several naive cases, but you never tempered it with the understanding of the narrator and what he wants. And I think I think that's, you know, that's just an aspect of who Arthur is because I think Arthur was probably deeply a death of the author type of person, uh, which I am as well. And so I agree with him that in any sort of narrative that I'm consuming, I would not uh, think too much about the narrator or about the the creator of the narrative and think more about the work itself. Uh, but, you know, if I were to find myself inside of a narrative as it's being written, then I think suddenly my... Uh, my idea of what the creator of this narrative wants would be incredibly important. Yeah, it's it's a mindfuck. I think it's uh, like from Arthur's perspective, he never had to really concern himself with that, right? Um, I think he should have. Like from his perspective, you're right, but I think he was wrong in that case. I think he might have been as well, but it's not clear what it would have changed. And kind of similar to the rest of Amaryllis's argument here like it's not actually clear to me what she expects Uther to do differently if he accepts her worldview like he's still just like great I believe you I'm going to earth bye you know oh yeah yeah in this particular case I think the thing it would have changed is that instead of being a standard narrative uh of the normal story type it would have turned into a you know a postmodern meta fiction like we are reading right now oh then then Arthur definitely doesn't want that yeah, because then he would have got to the long he would have got to the, the hellmouth and the army would have opened fire and killed him. <laughs> That's true. Like so no, I I'm glad he didn't start thinking about it in that context. I'm glad he got the standard hero ending. Yeah. <laughs> That's a darn good point. This was this was also a protective tactic on his point. I don't know if it could have consciously been that because I don't think that you're like you're allowed to double think your way through the rules here, but um Yeah. I could be missing something. I I don't know. It's a cool thought. Speaking of cool thoughts, Amaryllis uh, tells him that your hypothesis that we're all here with specific hooks to dig into you to get you to come back seems far too specific given our actual goals and personalities, uh, which I guess goes directly against what I was just saying. But continuing on, uh, I don't give a bubbling shit if you go to Earth. Personally, I don't want you to come back, nor am I equipped to tug at your heartstrings as I might be if I were Dahlia. Uh, I like the argument she's laying out here, and it's a really good argument. I think it's the most convincing argument so far. Uh, and I think that's why, like, this is the part of the narrative where Uther is being tempted via debate. Uh, that is, like, 
the tactic she's using of I don't even care if you come back is the one that's most likely to convince him that he's wrong. And so might actually result in him coming back. Like this is exactly what she would have to say if she was trying to make a dispassionate, rational argument for why he should consider coming back. So I think that was perfect, even if that wasn't literally what Amaryllis was doing, because I mean, I don't think that's what she was doing. I think she was just trying to have a conversation because there's both a postmodern story and a traditional story being told in tandem right here. Yeah, I I just like that she was way better equipped to have this argument than June was, right? Yeah. I mean, she, she's able to meet Arthur where he is since she's basically halfway there herself. You know, mm-hmm. no, you, you, sure. Arab's not real. Like, I don't care. Like, the suffering is, and that's all I care about, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, it. it's still not clear to me what she hopes to get out of this argument. Like, maybe she just wants him to stop and think like, hey, look. If there was another kind of narrative lens to view this through, what would you do differently? Because that might actually be important. You think that's what she wants? I honestly think that she is just passing time having an argument because she doesn't think that what happens to Arthur or Uther really matters at all. Anything that matters is June. And so she's here to help that along. And uh, if in the meantime, she can have a fun argument with her great grand something. Let's let's why not? Hmm. I, I can't remember the specifics, but I feel like she got emotionally charged during the argument, which I suppose you still can during a fun argument, but mm-hmm. she doesn't strike me as the kind who would just like shoot the shit, but maybe she was biding for time trying to give June a chance to catch up. Ah, uh, that could be it. That So yeah, that could mean like, all right, look, I'm going to engage him in a pointless but riveting argument so that he'll stand still for five minutes and give June a chance to catch up to us. Mm. Okay. All right. I can dig it. All right. Well, uh, they they stumble across a desiccated body, uh, and June says, "Actually, he might be alive. Uh, maybe some technical sense, capable of thinking, but not movement, speech, or sensation. Just trapped in his own head for five hundred years." Which, holy fuck! Uh, and Uther immediately steps forward and stomps the skull with enough force to send it flying, and says, "Hopefully, that will kill him." Which just reminded me, like that was a, like a holy shit kind of moment. And it reminded me that Uther is a lot like Amaryllis and that he just does the right thing. Just, yep, that's the right thing. I'm going to do it. The ruthlessness is definitely a feature. Um, Mm -hmm. I do wonder, I don't, I mean, doesn't the room just reset? Uh, No, it's, yeah, I don't know. Doesn't it like get frozen in time or something? Or maybe it reset. Yeah, I don't know. The long stairs are weird. Oh, but you're right. Uh, The rooms reset, but like the corpses they come across. Well, no, the corpses are always fresh. That's because time generally stops if there's no one in the room, which was what led June to believe that maybe this person is still conscious because once they're dead, the time stops. Oh, yeah. And everything was super dry in there. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So how would that happen? Okay. Yeah. All right. I can dig it. Well, in that case, you know, Uther was nice. I thought that like when he went over and stomped him, I was like, well, great. He'll be, you know, nice and dead for all of the five seconds that you guys are still in the room. But then so... And I figured Uther knew that, so that he was just venting some of his frustration at June's fucked up creativity. Hmm. Um, but no, if he thought he was actually putting a guy out of his misery, well, then good for him. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Solid. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, they are having discussion about uh, what happened. Uh, and June Juniper says that uh, Arthur died on Earth. And when Arthur talks about it, he says, I was transported here. Uh, because from his perspective... He he didn't die. He was transported there. As you know, if you were to be in a car accident 
and then wake up somewhere else, that's what it would feel like to you, right? Uh, and I just was, you know, I liked that being pointed out here because it, it looks different from the two different sides. And I, this is what somebody tried to tell me was the transporter problem. And I refer to it as the transporter solution from now on. <laughs> we, we did it. We solved the problem. Yes. Let's pack it up, folks. We can go home. Yeah. You continue on. I'm glad that we have resolved that. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, uh, if it sure looked like you died and everyone thought you were dead, then they're all suffering from it. But you, you continue. That's all that, that's what happens every time you lose consciousness. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I, the, the, so this is like, they're, they're talking about, uh, whatever Arthur being trapped on air, but how, how he views the place. Right. Mm-hmm. And June thinks that Arthur dying was, I thought, probably close to the truth, even if it might not have been literally true. Air was a resurrection, but he was right, and it was it was a resurrection that he hadn't he had never asked for, and one that came with strings attached. If he wanted to escape it, I didn't blame him. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm that's just moving, and I guess you know he's coming around to understanding where Arthur's coming from. Yeah, you know it's. It's interesting because that's it reminds me of um, a Kirk Vonnegut book named Time Quake, which I only read once because I'm scared to reread it, thinking I might hate it on the second read. But on the first read, it was amazing. And in it, there was a uh, short story about Hitler uh, in the bunker, which uh, it ends with uh, Hitler saying, well, I never I was never I never asked to be born anyway. And then shooting himself. And uh, I. I don't do it justice. The way it was written was kind of, kind of emotionally touching. And like, it reminded me of this thing because earth, earth has the same kind of thing where no one asks to be born and being brought into earth comes with some major strings attached. And so it still to me feels like either way, whether you try to escape earth or try to escape air, but still like a suicide sort of thing. You can't just say I never asked for it, and and I mean technically it's true, but neither did anyone else, right? Well, if you admit that it's a suicide thing, then you're gonna have to admit that the transporter problem is a problem and not a solution. Uh, the, I, the, the, the distinction the, here is that Arthur is uh, planning on continuing somewhere else. It's only a problem if you think it's a problem to have a a suicide on one end and a resurrection on the other, and. I think that is actually a solution, not a problem. No, I know, but you were saying that uh, it's the same situation here on Earth, and but but the main difference is is that if you decide, well, you know, I was never asked to be born anyway, and shoot yourself in the head, like you're not going to Arab afterwards, right? Right. So you, you are in fact just dying. Probably. Well, I guess it was the comment that um, Arab was erection that it was a resurrection that he never asked for, and that came with strings attached, made it sound like this means that being resurrected into Arab was a unfair thing or a bad thing. And the analogy would be that being born is an unfair or bad thing. And I'm still torn on that. I don't know if it is. I think on net, it's probably not a bad thing to be born, but you know, I'm not sold on that. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's worth it. You know, life can suck, but you know, it's, the, the state of being able to experience stuff sucking is a wonder in and of itself. Now that said, if your life is the maximum possible misery, then it's not worth living. Right. But yeah. there's some cut off to where it's like, okay, yeah, no, this, you know, sure. My back hurt for the last 70 years of my life, but I got to watch it, you know, a lot of good movies and eat good food and <laughs> love people and stuff. Right. Like, yeah. 
you know, so there's like, there's, uh, I, I fall off, I fall on the side of like, it's worth it. So, um, yeah. I realize that that runs into, uh, what do you call it? Repugnant conclusions or whatever, whatever. But it, I haven't, I, I haven't, so. I haven't coherently extrapolated that to, uh, like a mathematical precision, but that, that's my view on how things currently are. I think that's just the healthiest view to have. Yeah, I think, I mean, there, there could be that there's some motivated thinking there too, right? Because if I felt elsewhere, if I felt otherwise, I might be inclined to kill myself. So right. I certainly don't yeah. want that. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll take, I'll take what I can get. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Um, I mean, there's a couple here. Uh, one light note before one serious note was uh, the, there's like a, you know, line break, whatever, like, you know, new paragraph and, oh, we were eating fairies to recover some fresh wounds inflicted by opposite wolves. And then parenthetically, it's like wolves, but the opposite. And that was great. <laughs> and I, I, I pulled that out too at first. I wish I knew what those were. Yeah. Inside out wolves, small, lovable <laughs> cats, like fish. Um, yeah. But you would just say I, fish was fish, right? No, they're opposite wolves. It's just funny, you know? Yeah. But it, it, it I, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's those funny little things. I'm uh, like, are, are they just pugs? Is that what an opposite wolf is? <laughs> and they they inflicted injuries on on them. <laughs> Must uh, have been a whole lot of them, right? Um. Anyway, so that was like I think some some sugar to make the the rough medicine here next come go down easier, right? Because um, mm-hmm. then June just jumps right into saying, he says, "When you died, I mourned you. You were a constant presence in my life, my best friend." And it was like someone had yanked you out of reality and pulled a bunch of wires out of my head in the same process. Um, I don't know if I want to read the whole thing, but uh, he says, basically, you know, I wrecked all my relationships. I was lashing out. Um, I dated Maddie for like a week and then I hit rock bottom, tried to kill myself. Uh, not too long afterward, I was here on Arab and Uther just looks at him for a moment and says, I'm sorry you went through that. And I don't know. I, I don't know what to say about it. I, I was moved that, the, you know, they're finally jumping into like serious emotional talk. Uh, yeah. I get why he didn't just bust out with these feelings right away. Cause this man isn't the boy that he was friends with, but Arthur's still sort of in there. And now they've got some time that they can talk about it, you know? Yeah. And, and I guess it's good for Arthur to know those things so that they can talk about it. So we can know where June came from and all this. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if June's thinking of it, like in terms of why am I here on Arab? But he's thinking, well, as long as I've got the chance, I might as well tell him, you know? Yeah. He really needs to come to some peace about all that. And and he can't do that if he doesn't even tell Arthur what happened to him after. Yeah, totally. Because it seemed like Arthur didn't even, wasn't even thinking about that, you know? Didn't realize that his death might have these major effects on other people. He might not even, even have known that he died, you know, until June told him. But he's like, oh, you would say that that's plot bait, you know? Yeah. Um, so his thinking like, and he also doesn't want to return to earth because, you know, to reunite with people who miss him or something, because that's, that's a quest too. He just wants to go back to go back. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't think I've been thinking about it in those terms. It reminds me like near the end of the last chapter here, he says that you were the, like the hardest temptation to overcome or whatever. You made the best case for returning the Arab. And I couldn't, I didn't quite figure out why that was, but I think I see it now that June is tell showing him that, when you left the first time, it had this devastating effect on me. And remember me, remember your friend June. Like if you leave again, 
it's not going to have as devastating an effect because I've grown, but it's going to have an effect, you know, don't, don't just leave and go like this. Don't leave me. So I, I can see why this might be the final and hardest temptation for him to resist. Yeah. And there might be the other side of the coin where, you know, Uther's saying, I have to say goodbye to my friends too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Uther, Uther um, has a de-aging potion. And one of the things it'll do is actually extend his life as well. Because as we learned much earlier in the book, uh, your soul ages. Even so, even if you de-age the body, you still die at the normal time because of the, the accumulation of soul damage. Uh, Uther says there are three varieties of death by old age, speaking broadly. Physical health, mental health, and the health of the soul. And his potion undoes the that for you know all three. And I, I had to stop and think about this for a second. Why does he need to heal his soul if he's... To, to to continue to have a normal you know life from teenage on if he's going to Earth, and then that made me think. Then I guess there must be souls on Earth too, and I suppose that makes sense if you know they're all running on the same simulation software. Then they would all have to have the same underlying mechanics, right? So so he all the people on Earth <laughs> actually do have souls, and we were wrong the whole time, uh, uh, which is an interesting thought. I like that the thought occurred to you. I that didn't jump out at me. I I was just thinking like, you know, he's talking about death as he knows on Arab. You know, Earth doesn't have magic, but Arab has magic. Yeah. Um it I think he was just saying like, I'm covering all my bases here. Um That's that's a good point, and that's probably what it was, come to think of it. But you know, it but the implication of that could be, yeah, I'm not gonna, you know, keel over at the physical age of thirty five. Um because I'm actually de-aging. I'm not just looking younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's funny. I think June is like, you know, kind of a dick move not to share that potion with people. And I'm, I don't think Arthur gives him a response, but it's like, I'm sure this thing was hard to make, right? Ar- Arthur does say that for every single one of these potions that he would make, it would take two months of dedicated work from him personally, because only he had the power to do it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he, I mean, then... You know, Arthur could, or June could be like, okay, well, you could make this potion, sit in a time chamber, and make I don't know a few hundred, and then give them to people that you think would be the best candidates to make more. Like, you know, if you wanted to to make a ridiculous make this your whole life's purpose argument, you could have. But um, right, he might be able to scale it up if people could be trained to be as yeah as powerful as he is in soul magic. Right, but also like fuck that, I'm good. You know, right. that, that's not I why just I made this. Get back to Earth. Yeah, right. <laughs> Fuck Arab and everything on it. This was just another thing I pulled out because I'm who I am. Uther asks, or Arthur asks June, uh, "Did you revel in playing the hero while you were there uh, on Arab?" And he's like, eh, "You know, I don't know. I, I didn't do anything all that heroic aside from the kaiju." Uh, Amarillo says, "Well, he saved my life on a few occasions." And then Arthur, you know, thinking of Amaryllis being similar to his daughter because they look identical. And one thing I'll say for my daughter, she was never a damsel in distress. And then, you know, he says to Amaryllis, oh, I don't put that on you, of course. It's all the narrative. I rescued plenty of strong women in my time. And uh, June says, gross. Arthur asks, which part? Did you think it better to rescue weak women? (laughs) (laughs) And is June just being instinctively woke here? Like, I know that Jude was always super liberal uh, from the very beginning, and I really like that, but it feels like Walter got into his brain here and is eating his brain up because he's just, like, acting bizarrely mind-altered, sort of, at this point. Like, it took me a minute to remember what Walter was 
I'm like, oh, right, the book eating monster thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think it's instinctual. Like, it's the reflexive response to the implied, like, herder, only big, strong man can rescue puny female trope. But, ah, okay, okay. like, the thing is, he knows that's not what's going on, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he knows that this is literally a narrative that Arthur was forced to play out for many years by a DM who wanted to see the traditional heroic fantasy tropes play out over and over maybe that's the gross part and it's like yeah, oh yeah I, so it, the dm put you in situations where you keep having to kick in doors and rescue your taken daughters you know like again i i don't know how strong of a case you can make that like that's particularly gross but it's like i mean maybe maybe, maybe but- it's gross in the same way that like oh the suicide explanation for where the missing soldiers went is gross Maybe he's still just a quote gross with lazy. (laughs) I I don't think so, but I, but it also sounds like he's saying that to Arthur, not as a commentary on the DM. It does. Am I reading that wrong? No, no, that's how I read it too, but he doesn't actually get a chance to elaborate. Um, Yeah. And you know, if he was just thinking it about the DM, he would have just thought it, you know, or he might've been like that fucking guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, you know, that would make a lot more sense than like for some reason trying to trying to say bad things about Arthur for this. There's something weird. But he did say it's all the narrative right before it. Maybe he needed to caveat it right after it. Yeah, maybe before and after. You know, I that's the thing is you can't really judge him for anything because his life was on rails, you know? Yeah. Um but I'm trying to think of something equivalent that someone on Earth could say, and it's like Oh, I've rescued many a starving African in my day, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, right. that is kind of, you know, it's, it's not gross that you did it, but it's gross that you said it like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's what he was getting at, but sounds it's, actually it's a stretch. pretty reasonable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, you know, why call him out on it? I think he's still, they're, they're still working through their feelings. They haven't had their good chance to bro down yet. So that's um, true, but they don't get a chance to cause they get attacked because of course, moving through a room with statues and we all know what that means yeah I, yeah statues always a trap i really really wish they would have been able to go a little bit deeper into that because I, I find this interesting and i want to know i want to know more about this and i would like to you know for them that have that sort of discussion it's like saying oh i've rescued many starving african children like that would be that would be an interesting conversation and instead it's just like oh gotta fight statues now and i'm like god damn it why'd you cut it off right there we should I wanted put, to hear more about this. We should put that on the list of things that we can try and ask Alexander if he ever gives us an opportunity to interview him about this. I mean, it's probably at the near the bottom of my list of things that I want to ask him because I actually have a list I've been compiling of things I want to ask him. Oh, smart. I've only been keeping it in my head and I'm sure I've forgotten almost all of it. So, um, mm-hmm. well, good on you for thinking ahead. Um, all right. So they get through the room with all the statues and uh, at like this is near the end, but the June uh arthur says you didn't use the ring and he's like oh yeah um and so he checks in on how she's doing yeah because normally she could just jump up and do whatever she needed whenever she saw that's what she was doing whenever she saw danger she would you know burn it down uh, even before the rest of the party could do anything so uh june eventually asks uh, after asking her a few other questions are you okay are you still capable of acting on your own volition and she says i don't understand the question so, like, she's not even a person anymore. She's, at best, like, a chatbot now. And that's really sad because it's like watching an old person going into decline, you know? They're, they're at the point where they just can't, can't even think now. 
Yeah. On the plus side, I think it was less gradual. Like it was more, uh, whatever. It was a, it was a steeper, it was more jumps and leaps and bounds to decline, uh, yeah. for her. And she didn't suffer years. it as much. Right. Um, yeah. and she'll get it all back when she goes back down. So, Yay. uh, but, but at, but this, you know, at the time, yeah, it's, uh, it's disconcerting. You're like, Oh shit, this used to be a person. And now it's like, it's still a weapon. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it definitely, it, yeah, the, the thought, I had the same thought that June did, which was like, shit. <laughs> yeah. Right? I hope she gets better. Yeah. Um, anyway, so it, this was something that occurred to me near the end of the next, uh, of the last chapter, but this is as good a time as any to talk about it. Like Bethel, I mean, I, I guess it was implied at this point that she had been jumping in randomly to help. Maybe she, maybe there was a line about it, but I missed it. Um, but like, she's the only companion that makes it to the top. I don't think she makes it to the top. I think at some point before what we just read, she b- died basically. And she comes back when she gets taken back down. But like the thing that's at the top isn't Bethel anymore. It's a ring that can do some telekinesis tricks. That I think is the best um, satisfactory answer that explains that mystery for me. And uh, well done finding it right away. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> I, I was thinking just cause like, you're right. Cause that, it's not Bethel. It's a magic ring. Um, you know, she is, he, he brings her physically, but mm-hmm. she's not even, you know, she's barely the ring, right? She's, yeah. She's the that, lights aren't on. Yeah. She's a house. And it, to the extent that she looks like a ring right now, it's not cause she wants to. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I think you're right that the, the solution to that riddle is that she didn't make it to the top. <laughs> yeah. She, she was in fact like second or third to last. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's not clear when she turned off enough to where she wasn't really on the trip anymore. So yeah. Yeah. Well, long pig, the most confusingly named chapter. So it wasn't just me. No. Okay, good. I, mean, I was, I, I was looking for it. Uh, the whole time I was terrified they were going to eat Amaryllis. <laughs> like I, I was pretty sure about it, especially when she didn't show up for like the yeah. gift exchange. I'm like, fuck, they're going to feed her some beef jerky. And then it's going to turn out to be Amaryllis jerky. And this is going to be a mess. Uh, but as best far as I, I can tell, can, there's no cannibalism in this chapter. Best I can figure, maybe maybe since the elves were kind of like, uh, they were sort of like elves, so maybe they were cannibals and it just isn't said. Or maybe they did have to eat some dried food. Was it this chapter? Where they ate? No, the desiccated food was before when they found the dude. Yeah. Huh. yeah. I guess I guess my best guess was that maybe the these elves are also cannibals, but... I'm not sure. Well, I think they eat some food later too, but then I was thinking, well, that's in the stairs. There's no way that is Amarilla's meat, you know? Right. Um, so I don't know what this one's referring to, but I, I was just, I was on edge the entire time. I was thinking like, maybe it was going to, it was probably going to be on accident, you know, not out of like desperation. Cause he has hot dogs, you know, for last yes. resort for food. Um, yeah. It'd be just like Amaryllis. Like once the food is gone, she just shoots herself in the head. Be like, you know, keep going, June. Um, <laughs> wow. But yeah. they, it didn't come to that either. She just, you know what I think might've happened? Hmm. Like when they, you know, went to separate rooms for the night, maybe she just snuck out and hit under, hit under a bed, like in another room. She's like, this is where I slip off the, the, the camera, you know, so June can go on about oh, me. Oh, Yeah. I mean, it could be that that, they, could that be. she was in some dire situation that she talked her way out of too. But I like the idea that she's just like literally hiding from the camera under the bed. Yeah, that 
sounds very much like the Amaryllis thing to do. It does. She knows it? she can't. She knows she can't make it to the top, and this is the last landing. So yeah, yeah. Neat. Um. Oh, so uh, Arthur's um awesome armor falls apart, mm-hmm. and it's like one of all the thousands of black beads. They're all mini sables, and apparently his underwear changed size when he first age. So <laughs> I, I just <laughs> like that cool. among the magics and the the powerful entads, you've got things like Kumduna, and then you've got the guy who made magic underwear. Um. Yeah. You know, it, it reminded me, and I wish we'd known if, it, it, I wish it said if it had hearts on the boxes or not, but it reminded very me, me very much of that ancient arcade game, uh, I think it was Ghouls and Ghosts, where you're playing King Arthur, and you have a full suit of armor, and as soon as anyone touches you, it all falls off, and you're just wearing your boxers. And then if something touches you a second time, you die. It's like, you know, your, your one hit point that you got. I just I just saw with all his magic, all his armor just bloop comes off and these boxers underneath. I was like, oh, I wonder if that's a reference. You know, it uh, it occurs to me. I have this whole time been picturing because he was in his underwear fighting Fen too, right? Mm-hmm. I pictured white underwear with hearts on it. And yet <laughs> I pictured white boxers with hearts. But the thing is, like, these are described as briefs, which are, which are different. Oh, you're right. It's briefs. But I still was picturing the same thing. And I don't think I ever played that arcade game. I think I was just picturing, like, of course, he's wearing cartoon underwear. You know? Yeah, uh, that would make more sense about uh, about Finn, like watching his ass then, because the, the briefs grab an ass much better than boxers do. They're kind of designed to not not let you see the shape underneath. Right. You just have to use your imagination. <laughs> I suppose so. But all right. So th- I noticed this when uh, I was putting this note in here. Um, he looks at Amaryllis and he says, oh, I was waiting for that to happen. Is Sable still working? Do you have a spare suit of armor? Uh, did they tell Arthur that that's what they called the glove? Because Fen named it while Amaryllis was captured. So it's not like this you know, was its formal name. I don't know. Maybe they did. I mean, it's been a number of weeks since since we first met Arthur. So I don't remember. I mean, a number of weeks real time for us. Yeah. I, I'm only curious because if not, it would be like very strongly suggestive that Fen was an NPC because she happened to name this thing its actual name. It could just be DM shenanigans. DM does that kind of thing all the time. But she came up with it, right? So it would mean that he put a thought into her head. For the, for the moment that she invented the name, she was not a player character. I suppose. Yeah. I think the DM does that all the time, though. It doesn't make them not a real person. That's fair. Like when she entered the archery contest, I bet the DM had some nudging to do, maybe even making her think a thing. But I think for the most part, she's her own person. Or so she's like, got if, lucky. If, if Professor X hacks into your head and makes you like say one thing or, or want to go eat an apple or something, that doesn't make you an NPC just because for that one instant he uh, he controlled you, right? No, but it makes me an, it makes me an NPC for that instant because it makes me not me. It well, makes me yeah. Charles Xavier. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I do like how Amaryllis, you know, almost as if divinely inspired. She says, we're going to need guns. Lots of guns. <laughs> nice. Uther asks, do you really think we'll need guns? Because uh, they're dumping things out of Sable. And apparently he does not like guns very much. And he's fucking terrible with guns. June mentions that he gets muzzle swept twice. The reason I pulled this out is because uh, right after that line, it says he looked so young and it was hard to get over it. And I'm, I'm glad that like, june harps on this a few times because it really immediately my mind started thinking of a 17 year old and it stuck uh as before like i saw this a grizzled dude with the like the long king arthur hair the the gray in his beard and his hair and the lines around his eyes and then all of a sudden i see like a young kid again and and significantly shorter and slimmer and it just 
it's astounding how much difference that change in appearance made for me for everything that he said. It just suddenly didn't feel as profound or as wise. It didn't have enough gravitas. And I know it's the same person and he's got the same years of history behind him, the same thought processes. And just the fact that he looked different seemed to make a a fair bit of difference into my emotional reactions to him. I think it's the appearance has an immense impact, but like age, aged looks are strongly correlated with age itself. And so like, I think just it's interesting because what's, what's funny about this is I can't imagine Uther Pendrag, you know, golden armor crown, picking up a gun. Like, do you think we will really need guns? Like, I don't picture Mm. I can't picture him saying that. Right. I could, I could picture an older Uther who's, who's spent all his life with the sword and everything, like eyeing a gun and being like, huh, this sort of technology. I don't know how I feel about this. That, that's what I think what like, he would say is like, I don't, yeah. he, he would, he wouldn't say tentatively, do you think we'll really need guns? He'd say, I don't think we'll need these. Right. Well, but he could, he could say it in this older tone of voice. Like, do you really think we'll need guns? You know, like, oh just, yeah, just, you're right. Okay. Yeah. When you put it that way. Yeah. See, I, it's just the fact that he looks different. That made us read it different. Yeah. It's, you put, you put on a, a deeper voice and it convinced me immediately. <laughs> yeah. It's astounding how much difference that appearance makes. Yeah. I, I like it though, because the uncertainty, you know, it, it fits with the boyish, you know, attitude about it. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the young boy. I mean, you know, it's like he's uncomfortable with guns, you know, he's like, yeah, sure. I can shoot fireballs and explode people's heads, but like, uh, guns I'm, I'm iffy about. And I, I wonder, you know, I think that this Arthur, since he has physically regressed, I think he might have not regressed. I think he might've reversed in other ways too. Cause he did, he did reverse the mind and the soul, you know, that's true. So he is, I think, literally younger in all the avenues except for he has more you know he has more memories but uh i wonder you know if he's got some of the like oh i haven't felt like my heart flutter nervousness for 30 years you know yeah Um, yeah i mean a lot of a lot of how we feel and act is just you know reacting to our hormones which do change as you age that could absolutely be a thing where he actually feels different he's pubescent again right (laughs) oh no poor arthur (laughs) what are these are these feelings i haven't had these since high school (laughs) (laughs) right i thought i killed all those feelings with alcohol and despair (laughs) but uh there was there was a line that june said he says i tried to remind myself that guns hadn't really been a thing on air when he'd been around and his brain was just running on old programming Mm. and that phrase jumped out at me because we use that phrase here in meat space but it has another ring to it when you're in a computer simulation, right? Oh, nice. Yes, I didn't pick up on that. I, I don't know if it was... I mean, I assume everything's intentional, especially everything that sounds smart, because Alexander is <laughs> a smart guy, but it's the kind yeah. of thing that could have slipped out by accident. Yeah. But it's like, you know, older programming. Hold up a minute. <laughs> he's, he's literally <laughs> probably running on programming, we think. so. <laughs> this might be a clue. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I suppose that, you know, I, I wasn't even going there, but of course, you're right. It has to be a clue, too, but... Um, I was just thinking like, it's, it's funny when we say, but when they say it, it's like, it might literally be true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, oh, they talk briefly about social deduction games. Do I pulled out this thing, but I don't know if it's worth getting into. Do you want to get into it? I didn't follow what you were talking about. So you get to decide if you want to go into it or not. 
he says that June was always terrible when we played social deduction games. Someone would accuse you and you would say, logically, a denial of my guilt has very little information value to you. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> love to say that true. while being interrogated by the police. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And, but like, I- I've played a fair bit of social deduction games and I was also terrible at them when I was younger and I got significantly better at them over time. And it's made me wonder, like, are they just acting games? Did I get better at acting? Are they luck games? And I just, you know, my luck happened to be worse then and better now. Maybe it's like, who's the more attractive person games? Because people tend to like, like and believe people who are attractive more. Maybe it's like, of the people who are in this game playing right now, who has the most status in the general world outside of the game? And so we will defer to them subconsciously and and believe them over people who are are lower status. Like, I don't understand... Because as far as I can tell, social deduction games are literally just bullshit. They're they're just like you say, "Hey, I think you're the werewolf," and you're like, "No, I'm not the werewolf." And, and there's there's no evidence of any kind to go on aside from like, "Do I think he's bluffing or not?" And how can you tell? I, is it the acting? It, what, what what's going on here? Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about social status games or social deduction games? I mean, <laughs> you're right. This is something we could dig into. My 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 quick thought is that. It's not. It's less fun playing it with other with with trained rationalists, <laughs> right? Like well, we did some Among Us back when that was popular on the Discord, and those were the least fun games because they had <laughs> they they strategized like this is how you win as the crew, and I'm like, yeah, but if you're if you're one of the munguses, that's what I called the human the 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 monsters, mm. a mungus. Um, so right. if you're a mungus, you don't want to do that you want to have an opportunity to slip off but if like nope we're gonna go in pairs and if i come back alone uh then i'm the killer and if i don't come back then they're the killer like Mm -hmm. it's so it it was always a lot more fun just jumping on with morons on like random lobbies and you you could just kill somebody right in front of somebody else report it and be like that dude did it and they'd be like (laughs) well i believe you and (laughs) (laughs) so those those blatant uh well, because the thing is, they would the the whatever nor- muggles will defend themselves when it's like mm-hmm. I didn't do it; I watched him do it. Whereas, like I remember trying to do that. I think I was trying to blame David, and he's like, "Okay, cool, throw me off. Like I don't care." But when someone else dies, it's him. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> you're not role playing properly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, he had the optimal strategy, and if we were you know, in a base in Antarctica trying to find the thing, I would like to think I'd be that chill about it. Um, well, I mean, in a base in Antarctica, your life is actually on the line. In a game of Among Us, it's just like, yep, I'll, I'll be dead for the next four minutes while you guys learn the truth. Right. <laughs> and then I will have been justified. That's true. I guess in real life, I, I, if they weren't going to change their minds, I'd at least say, okay, sure, fine. But if something else happens, you'll know it's him. Mm-hmm. You know? But you're right. The, they, the he, stakes are a little different. The stakes are different, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Yep. I don't know. Was that a fun enough tension to leave in? Yeah, totally. All right. Cool. I mean, I had fun saying it, so. Okay, cool. Uh, Arthur asks, do you remember staying up late during sleepovers as they're, you know, walking up, talking about their pasts? And, oh, my God, I, I sleepovers were the coolest fucking thing. And I want to know why adults don't have those, because I think we should. I mean, we should. We we can make our dreams not be dreams and just do these. I, I totally agree. Those are great. And hmm. now we just have to work it into like the one weekend a year where you can afford to be tired the next day <laughs> and right. then find that 
happens to overlap with a friend and then boom, book it, right? Um, <sighs> this sounds like sounds like maybe something that we should actually try to get going then. We should we should try and make it happen. All right. Um, cool. It what, is decided. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll f- find a good good weekend for it. Um, I think we'll have to impose the law of uh, of no no using substances as well because like we couldn't get drunk when we were kids and that makes a big difference because if you you know drink a bunch and then go off to sleep you just fall asleep whereas if you can't drink and you're trying to fall asleep you can't so you just sit there and you talk for three four hours in the dark right yeah those are always fun yeah and i i liked this line just because this is like the first time he's just and this is also why, why i think i'm leaning towards the like mental Regression sounds like a back step, but that's not what I mean. Reversal, you know, because mm-hmm. um, now he's talking about childhood. Oh, and he started doing that after the de-aging potion. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I put that like, you know, I don't know if I was keeping track in my head of like, aha, this happened after. But w- once he de-aged, he started to me just feeling more like Arthur and less like Uther, you know? Yeah. Maybe it's because June keeps calling him Arthur um maybe it's also because now he instead of being basically an all-powerful being he is dependent upon other people for his uh safety and survival that too i do wonder how much of it just subconsciously worked because june keeps calling him arthur or like in the text said arthur yeah. arthur ask etc you know yeah um but you know it's just it's it's hard that these are these were some of the most touching and heartfelt moments in the book yeah you know he t- he's like yeah your mom's house is always so cold you know just like talking about th- this is the shit that you want this this is these are the conversations june wanted to have mm-hmm. you know just like remember when we were alive and hanging out yeah yeah um june, uh-huh. I, I think what you say what your next quote here is a reply to when june is just like sorry about your wife and kids and all that like mm-hmm. which <laughs> is funny but also like sad because I, I waved my hand at the when i said that as i imagine june did i don't think it's in the text but it's just like how do you summarize that like sorry for the last several shitty decades you had like yeah it's but you you want to express you know you want to express sympathy but it's like how do you even how do you even reference to it it's just like yeah sorry all that stuff huh yeah so yeah i i i mean it's kind of like when uh arthur heard about his terrible spiral after his death and he's like sorry about that man yeah what what can you really say you know that's a good point he's just expressing sympathy yeah yeah i like it yeah uh but yeah he says that of his wife they had a good run together she was in ailing health and didn't want me to see her slowly die um i kind of want to just skip this next one unless you want to talk about it i guess i just i really hope that i know someone now who has an older much older uh parent who is in terrible decline and most of the time doesn't know where she is uh doesn't know what's happening and like has been that way basically for the past two months and probably is going to live another two months or so like that. And I just, I don't want to live like that because first of all, I'm not even there. And second of all, I'm putting this huge burden of care on people because they have to have someone around her at all times to care for her for months. And I just, I hope I have both the courage and the ability to realize that this is happening to me and I should check out right now and go get myself frozen because I I don't want to, keep going and put other people through that it's it's tough hey i'm i'm sorry to hear about that you said that it's been a couple months and maybe there's a couple months left that's that's at least the small mercy there this the state can last for years and what sucks too is like once you're in that decline i don't think you can make an advanced directive 
in Colorado anyway that says my spouse or medical power of attorney is allowed to kill me when I'm, you know, that crazy. Uh, and no, nor are you able to make that judgment yourself. And so you've got to like, you've, you've got to legally, if you want to, whatever, uh, do a medical aid in dying or like whatever, uh, physician assisted suicide in Colorado, you've got to do it while you're perfectly sane and coherent. Yeah. Um, which is kind of a drag. Cause it'd be like, can't you wait till I'm going crazy? No, because there's all this weirdness about maybe, you know, you've changed your mind, but you can't communicate it. Right. Um, and it's, it's really hard because like, if you just have lapses for maybe half hour a day, 45 minutes a day, it's probably worth continuing on and it's getting most of the day still fine. But the thing is, it starts getting more and more and you don't really know that it's getting more because you're demented. It's people would have to tell you like at some point you, you got to just jump on it because if you wait too long, you lose the ability to do it anymore, both mentally and legally. So yeah. 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 It's, it's, a, it's shit, a super bummer. It's a shit situation. Mm. The easiest solution is just to oh, the easiest. The legal stuff is complicated. And since legal stuff, complicated legal stuff is impossible to solve. We just need to solve aging related issues first. It'll probably be easier than fixing the laws. I mean, I think the best thing to do would be have a simulation of me, uh, on on file from when i was okay and just every month or two spin it up and be like hey this is you right now do you want to end this right now and i could say like yes i consent to that please please put me out of my misery you know i figure if you've got that simulation you can spin up just leave it on and i can stay alive i know i agree i think i think the closest we have to that now is you get to write stuff down in front of you know a notary slash a lawyer slash whatever but like you said it won't be honored it it can't be honored if it's like you know, kill me, but you can say whatever, like a DNR, you know, do not resuscitate. Um, yeah. But, but then, not- then you just have to hope that while you're forgetful and addled that you fall. Right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Geez. Uh, Anyways, moving news, on from, yes. This the, guy fucks. Oh. <laughs> I, well, actually, before that, I wanted to say the terrible news of he tried to save her, but it became clear that his wife's death was part of the narrative, which is just, oh, oh, fucking fuck narrative, you know? kind of thing that really annoys me about the dm but i mean also it's it's a good narrative like a spousal death is very emotionally wrenching and makes for a good story but but arthur is also alive and experiencing it i don't know it's just a shitty situation the other tragedy of it is that like it might not have been it just you can't know especially if you're arthur in his shoes where you know narrative like literal narrative you're in a story has been pushing your life for so many decades like mm-hmm. you don't know if this time the hands are off the wheel or not, you know. Yeah. But yeah. you're like, well, it's usually narrative, but like this time it might not have been. It was just mm-hmm. age, whatever. Mm-hmm. So it it just it's it's a weird circumstance. Yeah. Anyways, on to fun, more fun things. Right. This guy fucks, as you say. <laughs> yes. The uh, <laughs> the other women and men. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he he. When June says that he's sleeping with hundreds of women, he's like, and a few men. Uh, it was arrangement that, and he can't continue because he sees uh June's face. He's like, dude, you should see your face. And I kind of laughed at that because, like, as much as June was doing the performatively woke stuff earlier, <laughs> he's still all like, oh my god, my friend's a homo. No homo up in this piece, <laughs> which was hilarious to me. I, you know. I wonder if he's just surprised that. I mean, I, you know, I think so, but the the fact that 
Arthur stopped mid-sentence because of the look on June's face. Maybe because, you know, it's like, oh, I didn't think you just dropped it in. That's a bit of a bombshell. Yeah, you're right, though. I, I, th- I took it another way, uh, and I, I'm not sure how I interpreted it. Like, uh, well, I, I didn't take it. What am I trying to say? Um, I mean, like, I've had su- friends surprise drop on me bisexuality before, and, like, it, it was a sudden update, but, like, I just rolled with it. I don't think they even noticed that I was surprised. Yeah. No, I, I that makes sense. So I think what I was thinking when, you know, June was making a face was that Arthur saw judgment in it, mm-hmm. not surprise. Okay, yeah. And so that that's what confused me, and that's what I thought you were responding to. Because it's like, why would he be I mean- judgmental of it? Um, judgmental or or surprised or something just something that made him make a face right well but surprise is different than judgment you know um it's true surprise is just oh i didn't see that coming judgment is like oh i didn't see this coming and i have an opinion about this Uh, (laughs) okay and uh i think what it was i like how they elaborated or june at least went in and he's like no i you know what about like you gave palada and uh dahlia like all this shit and he's like, oh, mm-hmm. like, I think, yeah, Arthur snorts. He's like, oh, you're, you're wondering about that. You know, what, why, why I was doing that. And I thought he was just like, I really wanted to lead in for the uh, mail fraud joke. But um, <laughs> right. I think what it was, oh, you know what? I loved it. He says, no, I, I went for every argument that I could because I knew Palada. Right. And I said everything she's I could think the- of to try and split them apart because she's the fucking worst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's can- the one that as a 12-year-old makes jokes about fucking June. Yeah. No, so I, I think I can totally get behind uh, Arthur employing whatever he can, even if he has to pretend to be a 1950s, you know, homophobic asshole for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, just be, it's, it's like, like no, she's Palada? she's the worst, you know. Pick somebody else. I don't know. But... that's. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, we we didn't know shit about Palada when we first heard that. But at this point, after we've seen 12-year-old Palada, we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, fuck, yeah. Yeah, she's uh, she's a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, and this was the, the Nandor the Relentless bit. He has a line where he says something along the lines, like, I can't remember the, the phrase exactly. He says, yeah, yeah, female wives and male wives. There's not much of a difference. Uh, <laughs> nice. I, saw- I don't remember that line, but that does sound like a Nandor thing. Sounds like something he'd say. Yeah. Uh, oh, Nandor. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you're in for a treat. Uh, he, yeah, so they, they start talking about some various other cool ways to make uh, societies. And uh, June's like thinking thinking about various uh, ways that a, because uh, Arthur mentions the all homosexual society. And June's like, how would that work? And he proposes a couple things. And he's like, oh, oh, or better yet, extramarital opposite sex partners for the purpose of procreation, raising children, but not otherwise. And, and he looks at Arthur, and Arthur is staring at him. He's like, that's exactly what it is. And Arthur's like, yeah. <laughs> Which was a cool scene, but also now I really want to read a book set in that city where everyone is gay, but they have extramarital opposite partners just for uh, for procreation. It sounds really cool, and man, Alexander Wales is good at coming up with these sorts of cool-ass settings. Did someone say parsement? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, I'm, that's my, that's my flag for all of these. It's like, oh, that, yeah, I would read that story. Right. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. And mm-hmm. shit, we're probably definitely not going back to parchment. I didn't, yeah. I haven't thought about it in a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, somebody can pick up that world and play in it. So, uh, that's the whole point, right? Yeah. I, what I like about this too is, you know, June finally gets to kind of blow Arthur's mind for a second, you know? Because he, oh, he, about- he correctly predicts 
an aspect of the world that he had no way of knowing about, right? Yeah. And Arthur's really looking cool. at him like for once, surprised. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, sometimes I just off the cuff, you know, basically get a guess or like I, I just guess at what I would do and that turns out the way things are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Um, oh, this is, uh, again, so there's there's a handful of just nice emotional beats here. Um, this, I think, is right before they go to sleep, but it's like uh, Arthur just... I think unprompted, basically, he just turns to me. He's like, sorry for earlier. All of it. It's been a long time for me. There are a lot of emotions. And uh, that's all I wanted to hear, you know, mm-hmm. like and June June replies. He says, I just wanted to talk, really. I just wanted my friend back. I'm glad you're coming around to that. I had missed you. You're completely different, of course. But there are things that are just how I remember them. And especially when you dropped the Uther persona. Um but it was really just like, you know, I I had guessed part of that's why Uther ran off when, you know, June of all people busts him out of the bubble. But also he's like, nope, eye on the prize. But also he's running from his feelings, right? And now that he's hormonal again, he's he's experiencing his feelings and he can talk about them. Oh, <laughs> uh, but it's just, you know, like I said, they're they're finally having a heart to heart. Yes, they're they're doing the thing that you wanted this whole time. And it took it took a while to wear Uther down and get to the Arthur underneath. And like you said, I think the potion helped a lot of it, but it's cool that that we're finally getting it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So they wake up the next morning. And uh, since they were segregated by sex in their sleeping rooms, June asks, I wonder how Amaryllis is getting on. And Arthur says, oh, I expect we'll never see her again. And I had a what the fuck reaction to that. And so does June, because I was like, did you kill her? What the fuck, Arthur? Yeah, I, I, he said it so nonchalantly. Yeah. But now apparently it's just the narrative because he knows the narrative and uh, he's right. Yeah. June puts it nicely. He's like, well, I don't know if we've seen the last of her, but we've split up. Yeah. Um, And Oh no, I think Arthur says that. And then June says, if it comes down to it, I'll go with you. Um, and that, that was not what he had decided before. I think he'd even told Amaryllis like, no, I'm going to pick you. I can't remember if he said that or thought that. Um, oh, but yeah, you're right. He's like, no, I'll, I'll go with you. If it means leaving her. And mm-hmm. he does say it's what she would have wanted. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what will come to that, but if it does, uh, you know, um, I, I'm, picking you over her because that's that's the way this needs to go down and uh i don't know i don't think it's like just because like you know he's got his friend back and now he likes arthur more than he likes amaryllis i think he might also be feeling the resolution of all of this Mm -hmm. you know so now he can actually put himself in a situation where he's committing to the end game Mm -hmm. but uh the fact that she kind of disappeared just off screen also i think makes a difference like the choice was taken out of his hands. He couldn't choose to go with one or the other. She's just gone right now. That, and that makes it easier. Yeah, totally. And that actually, I think I threw out the idea kind of on a whim that maybe she had disappeared on, you know, hit under bed on purpose, but this actually sounds distinctly plausible, right? Cause she's like, I don't want June to make the wrong decision when would inevitably Arthur and I are both hanging from a cliff and you can only save one of us. Um, mm-hmm. like, so she, she took that choice off the table for him. Um, yeah. I, uh, Oh yeah. So then they, the, the scene that lines up, I just wanted to set this up because it's, he's talking about hollow Knight uh, mm-hmm. with the, uh, the Mantis Lords and mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's epic. If you've played the game, 
that sets the scene really well. And then later when they all attack, it says they, they jump down off their thrones. That's exactly how the fight goes. Uh, oh. And uh, it's a brutally hard game. Um, I heard that. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's basically the only thing I know about it. It's supposedly extremely hard. Yeah, it's, it's uh, like Dark Souls style difficulty mm-hmm. and a handful of other similar mechanics. But uh, yeah. It's a side scroller though, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it, it's a uh, it's it's two D, yeah. I, I prefer those to the like the the fully three D world. If I'm going for brutal difficulty, right? Yeah, I mean, Dark Souls might as well have uh might have tr- might try a two D version because the the cameras are so. I mean, they're getting better now, but especially like in the first and second game, is like the cameras are so mm-hmm. janky that it's like mm-hmm. it's one of the difficulty aspects that fans just say no that's just a feature that makes the game more hardcore the fact that the camera is constantly clipping through the wall and shit (laughs) i that's that's the frustrating thing like i don't mind something being hard but when like the technology just fucks you that's super annoying that's that's always my thing too like when i used to play uh first person shooters online like i don't mind someone being better than me and crushing me what i mind is lag killing me Mm -hmm. and like i don't mind losing i mind getting fucked (laughs) (laughs) right yeah but he he he's he mentions uh as an aside with this hollow knight thing that that was back when he developed a habit of going on steam every night and trying to find a game that would convince him not to kill himself and like wow that was i mean that was really bad i i guess when you get to a low enough point you start flailing around for anything that might be able to save you and i can see going into games as hoping since they were so much fun when you were younger maybe hoping there'll be one that'll make you feel like you were better like when you were younger again, but it's really looking. <laughs> oh, I see. It, my original line here is, is looking for Porfan in all the wrong places. And uh, as to your question, Porfan is the thing where Vulcans go into heat. Uh, and it, oh. <laughs> there, there was, there was a Star Trek episode called looking for Porfan in all the wrong places, which was a take off the old song, looking for love in all the wrong places. So I guess there's a few steps of geek rabbit holes to fall down to get that. Sorry. Gotcha. No, no, you're good. That's awesome, though. I mean, this is a this is a geeky thing. Most people probably got that. Um, maybe. We'll find out. I mean, the original series is like, what, 50 years old now? Huh. Yeah, I suppose so. Wow. Maybe well, more, world. Um, <laughs> yeah. But what's funny is, like, June must not have gotten to, like, trying to get the second half of the Void Heart, because that would make me want to kill myself. Um <laughs> I, maybe I, just downloaded the wrong game I'm, I'm throwing some levity in there because it 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 like the sentence just you know that that just comes up in a parenthetical about the game and i'm like oh hell yeah and i was all jazzed and i was like oh shit that took a turn um, <laughs> yeah and so yep. i in order in, to try and correct course i had to throw a joke back in it um mm. anyway so uh the he asks why he's why is my wife not here and they're like, you will be silent while here. You will accept gifts and leave. And I'm like, oh, these fuckers are about to get vorpled. Like, <laughs> nice. they do not know what they're in for. Um, mm-hmm. that, you know, I, they I find out soon enough when they give them a mouse. I know. I, I was pretty sure that, you know, they were going to, that they had killed her and they were going to feed him to her or something. Right. Or feed her to him. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm glad it didn't turn out to be that. But um, anyway, yeah. So they, they give June a big candle and they give Arthur a fucking white mouse. <laughs> and they you know like i don't know if they have shit eating grins on or not but like you you look you know i just they look at the mouse they look at them and they're like 
the do you, do you guys know what the fuck you're doing? Like, then right. th- there's no time to ask, you know. So J- Arthur just stomps on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it was uh, June that stomps on it. Oh right, yeah. Because now he's got the faster reflexes. He <laughs> reaches over to the dish and smashes it on the ground and stomps it in one smooth motion as though I practiced it. Parenthetically, I had not practiced it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Great parenthetical. And I think what's funny is they also, like, they're supposed to have like five minutes to kill the mouse, right? Like they could have been like, thanks, bye, and ran off and stomped out on the way out. Mm-hmm. But they're like, no, I don't know how long you guys have had this mouse. We might be closing in on the five minutes. This is insanity. Um, yep, no fucking around. And of all things to give us, it could have been Amaryllis' head on a plate. That made more sense. Why are you giving us a white mouse? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so they get to they fight their way out of there. And uh, our, our, uh, yeah, Arthur runs ahead. June looks for Amaryllis for five minutes before realizing he can't find her and then uh, runs off to catch up with um, Arthur. And then they get through like some fight and he's still carrying this like candle that I'm thinking is like, I don't know. I think they described it as big, like the size of your forearm, right? Like it's like taking up one full arm of, of attention, right? Yeah. And And dude, this is like a mimetic candle because he doesn't remember carrying it around with him. Right. You still have it. Oh, I guess I do. Yeah. It's like, what do you mean you think? It's like you're you're lugging that thing around, right? Yeah. Well, it might be important. And like, well, the, the DM showed me a book, you know, that says worth the candle on it. Maybe a candle? And, <laughs> and he's just like, uh, it, so it, it's fun that it's got that kind of effect to it, right? Um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's, you cannot leave quest items behind. Exactly. That you know, that's 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 the way I should have thought about it. Um and the way that June should have expressed it is like, dude, this is obviously a quest item, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't have an inventory to put it into anymore, so I just gotta carry this fucking thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is his pet rock. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, or I guess his father's rock. His pet rock died. Um Oh, that's true. We do keep confusing those two. There or conflating them. There were at a minimum two rocks but you know if you look at the resurrection stone and uh the philosopher's stone there's like four fucking rocks in this story and it's a it's, very rock heavy story i know it's very confusing um so then june even says maybe it's the candle of invocation and even i've heard of that that's like a wish granting thing right honestly i think candle of invocations were in additions after uh the one i played either that or they were a uh a very high level item that I never quite got up to because you know, we, I don't think we ever made it past the level 13, 14. If it is a wish granting thing, then it would definitely be a high level thing. I'm guessing, but also it looks like it's a fifth edition. Okay. Well then I definitely would have not run into it. Okay. Uh, it sounds like something you would use to summon a God though, right? It sure sounds Candle like of invocation it. or summoning something. The page description looks long, but it says that while lit, the candle sheds dim light in a 30 foot radius Creatures within that light whose alignment matches the candle makes the attack rolls, blah, 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 blah. Oh, so it gives a bonus. Yeah, but is that it? Oh, alternately, alternatively, when you light the candle for the first time, you can cast the gate spell with it. Ooh. And I don't know what the gate spell is, and I'm not about to go down that rabbit hole. Um, yeah. But anyway, so it sounds like a high level thing. And yeah. uh, he does convince Arthur because Arthur got his ass whooped before June caught up with him. And so... He's like, look, let's just wait for like half a day, see if Amaryllis catches up. And she doesn't, um, which is a drag. But there was a line where, um, like, as he's kind of coming to terms with the fact that she's not coming through, 
He says, it's hard to think that she has gone so quickly, not even having a chance to say goodbye or wish us luck. It was like a soap bubble popping. Mm-hmm. And I pulled that out because I pulled it out with the rest of the sad thought there. But um, soap bubble popping was how her how it was described her clones being killed. Oh. You know, it. Oh, I didn't. I didn't notice that either. The, it, this so is you're saying. It could, oh, sorry. Go ahead. It could have been a clue that that was a clone Amaryllis is what you're saying. Oh, no, because no, no. then she couldn't have used any of the magic. Yeah, no, I don't think it was that. It's just like, I wonder if that was a deliberate callback because, you know, they whatever they pop and vanish like they were never there. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And her just vanishing felt that empty and similar, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, or it was a coincidence, you know, turn of phrase, you know, Um, but let's, let's lean on clue. It's probably a clue (laughs) or at least if if it's a clue towards it being intentional phrasing. Yeah. Um, But on the plus side, it seems like she's alive because trying to track her uh, still gives him a headache. And I'm assuming trying to track dead people hurts or like doesn't do anything. Right. Yeah, because like, they, they didn't check, but that seems like something they had to check. Did they? I don't remember if they checked it or not. I think they checked it. They, we would have heard if it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's look for Ben Franklin. Nope. Nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although maybe you have to know the person. OK, think of like a grandparent then whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they could have checked that. Um, there's no way they didn't check. Yeah. So that's uh, totally a thing they would have done. Yeah. So chapter 245, long live the king. When I, uh, you know, first saw this this uh chapter name i assumed that it would be something like you know the final crowning moment of uther or something uh uther and capstoney when you mentioned that it was what uh scar says just before he kills mufasa i was like oh holy shit i did not realize that i I mean i watched the lion king once but it didn't like stick in my head uh as a thing since it's a thing you sometimes say you know and, and and the way that he said it sarcastically right before he killed him was great and all, but it, it didn't stick with me. So when you were like, oh, holy shit, Uther's going to die in this because of Scar said that, I was like, oh, my God, uh, I'm just going to do my best not to give away anything. I'm not sure if that worked at all, but no, we're perfectly. by not giving away things. Yeah. No, I mean, we're, we're closing on the, end, on the end of the story. I mean, you've nailed it the whole time. Um, okay. Like, I... I'll go through my mind and think if I can think of anything that I, you gave away. But as far as I can tell, nothing. Um, okay. You were perfectly poker-faced with everything. And I don't know if Scar actually said that or not, but I feel like he said something like that. And if not, somebody at some point in somewhere in fiction says, long live the king, and then shoots the king, right? That's true. It's so, got to be. So yeah. I think that came to mind. I don't remember what Scar said, but something like that. But yeah, it was. I was worried that's going to be that too. But no, it was the beautiful capstone thing. Um, you know. Fortunately, we start off with Henry, you know, this, <laughs> Mr. Poopy Butthole. Yeah, this Mr. Mr. Poopy Butthole looking motherfucker. He's just <laughs> like, oh, no, man, peanut butter and jelly. You know, that's the it's you put it in a paper bag and it's like whatever. And it's like, what the hell is this guy for? <laughs> and when, when, when I first came across that, I went back at chapter and was like, what the fuck? Did I miss something? Me too. I went back and like, did I skip a page? <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then when you find out what it actually is, it's just awesome. Arthur asks him a math, a math question that he doesn't like, and he explodes into strips of flesh with teeth on the ends of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, Arthur cuts it down. And how many rooms was he with? How, how many rooms was he with us? Seven, I think. But I remember him being with us for longer. Now that yeah. was the kind of thing that happened, and he just rolled with it. Um, and it's <laughs> like great, oh good. Like I was, I was worried this can be like a long thing where it's like we know something sinister is going on here, and he's going to jump out, you know, and fuck things up. But no, he was there long enough to be creepy. And then it was done. It was perfect. Yeah. Um, so 
I don't really know how to summarize this chapter or like, you know, or rather which quotes to pull from it. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like I said, other than like this background apprehension that the army was just going to shoot Arthur, you know, the whole time, basically up until June left. You know, I was thinking like, oh, he's going to go up the, like, even when he's ascending the the elevator, I'm like, he's going to hear gunshots. Like, mm-hmm. I, I that was a, a latent concern, but I kept that on the back burner and just, I don't know, enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, it, it gave me everything I could have hoped for since the moment we heard the name Uther Pendrag, right? Aww. It's, yeah. I, it's, it's Arthur dying again, but it's, yeah, it's, they got to say goodbye, right? Yeah, they did. Um, or at least being removed from June's life, which is like yeah, basically the same thing. It it is basically kind of. the same, but it's 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 funny. Um, like you know, I I haven't exactly hit it, but I haven't broadcast it. But uh, I had a friend who died last year, um, and he was sick. It was we we saw it coming, but it was still kind of sudden how quickly it declined, and. Uh, I don't know. So it would have been first week of October. Um, and so the thing is I've gone longer periods without seeing him before. Yeah. Uh, but the, the difference is, is like, and it's fun. What's funny. And this is just, you know, um, more of this book being weirdly relevant to my fucking life. Uh, I brought this up with my therapist at my, my last therapy session was what this, this very same thought I'm sharing with you is that like, you know, I, or in fact, the thought that June says, you know, this was a presence, a person who had a presence in my mind, but who wasn't a presence in my life, right? Or I think Arthur says that. Um, but, uh, like, it was, what am I trying to say? There's a difference, and that, that's, the, that's the important difference between Arthur getting gunned down by the army and him going up and being able to have a life is that he gets up to, he gets to go have a life, right? Yeah. That's, that's the, the important major distinction. And, uh, anyway, so... I think I, I think I might have said something before, but I, did, I didn't want to get too into it. But yeah, the uh, um, you know I've I've been pretty heavy in the Arthur camp just because. Uh, oh, I think I remember I did say something about this sometime around the holidays. Oh, you know when it might have been when Fen died. Oh, okay. which reminds me, she died like two weeks after my friend did. Um, yeah, and you were very polite, or not uh, not polite. You're very considerate, and you're like, you know, we can take a couple weeks off and not do this one um yeah. and uh that was that was nice of you but i you know wanted to kind of roll with uh keep things going and it was remarkably poignant but uh anyway um where am i getting with all I, this i wasn't getting anywhere i can't remember so i'll just pass it to you it, okay thank you yeah no it was it was a amazingly good chapter and it made me it directly prompted me to think a lot of things about grieving and moving on and being a depressive personality type. Um, I guess specifically I'll start out with uh, when he's talking about Arthur's death, that it was uh, when it happened, it was a reason for June to shut down and disengage and just really let the depression just soak in, you know? And he says, it's probably just neurochemicals, but how you deal with the highs and lows, whether you get stuck in these endless cycles of rumination, I think it's kind of in your power to some extent. Uh, and then, of course, if you get depressed, you lose the power when you need it most. So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but I think he does. And I think it's a good description because I found that there's a skill to managing depression 
And the shitty thing is no one fucking tells you how to do it. So for every single person, it's a massive, painful struggle to figure it out from scratch. But as much as it sucks, you do eventually develop the skill and you can handle it uh, more or less. You know when the spirals are coming, when you can feel the thing starting to overtake and you know what you have to do to to pull out of that dive to to avoid the worst of it. Uh, or at least that's been my experience. You know what to do to not make it worse at the very least. Is Have you had the same kind of thing? Yeah. You, you, I think for me, it was I, I became especially cognizant when I knew I was indulging it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, I'm, I, I can tell I'm feeding the beast. I'm, I want to keep doing it because I want to feel worse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. What, what's, what's, what's funny is you're like, no one tells you how to do this. Uh, but it's like, because no one can. Yeah. And so it, it just kind of sucks, you know, for what it's worth, there's a similar thing to managing chronic pain. Like you just eventually you just stop worrying about it and it just stops being a thing. Like it's there, but it's, it's as, it's as present as depression, right? It's like this background fact that you think about once a week. Um, Okay. But you know, that might be everyone's mileage varies and I'm sure just like with depression and stuff, you know, the more intense, the harder it is. But, um, what I liked about this too was that uh, I, I can totally identify with uh, this this thought that June expresses here. He's like that it was a reason to shut down, to disengage, and let depression sink into his bones. Um, like it's interesting, and I, I've I've been past this for at least ten years, maybe. But I remember, especially like in my teens like thinking that like, oh yeah, if something sufficiently terrible happens to me, that'll be my golden ticket excuse to just give up. Yeah. Right. And, uh, fortunately I didn't have the occasion to have something like that, you know, come up. So I didn't have the chance to try and give up. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's interesting because he's describing that really well. And, you know, the characters around the age I was probably when I was thinking those things. So, uh, yeah, it's all, it's all really well done. I think the stupidest part of this depression thing is that it still somehow has an aura of romance and every now and then it's just tempting to to let it sink in and wallow in it right and i don't know why that is because i know it's gonna suck and i don't do it but why is it still calling it's got this siren song um, it does i i don't know it's it's funny and there's a romance to it too you know to like the whatever i've given up cynical everything sucks like that's part of what makes Dr. House captivating, right? I never really watched the series. Uh, Sherlock. Okay. Similar vibe. In fact, deliberate analog. Um, yeah. But it's like, you know, yep, I'm a, I'm a misanthropic asshole who doesn't form connections with people because people suck and they lie and whatever. Um, but, you know, there's still something like, oh, you're charismatic and smart. Kind of like Quirrell, you know? Okay. If Quirrell yeah. could admit that he was depressed. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh he wouldn't say i'm depressed he'd say i'm being realistic uh yeah but yeah um just what it feels like yeah uh i i i just had to i mentioned this before but he does say that you presented a better argument for staying than anyone else which is proof that june was the end boss of uther's story all along (laughs) he was the final boss it wasn't smashing the void no he did he smashed the whatever uber demon with the whatever hammer of apocalypse like on year four of Arab, right right yeah so that was not even beginning to be approach the level of challenge of of this here right yeah yeah i thought that was pretty cool 
Juniper, he tells, uh, Uther tells Juniper, the relationships we formed in high school were never going to last forever. If I had lived, if I hadn't died in a car crash, what would the outcome have been? Most likely, we'd have tried to keep in touch, seen each other over the summers while we were at college, if you ended up going to college, and then drifted apart. Maybe we would see each other's Facebook posts or something. Uh, I think he's probably mostly right. It's certainly been my experience that people tend to drift apart over time if they don't have like family ties or genitals binding them. And I'm starting to think that this is a mistake in our society. Like it makes us incredibly rich. Like the American GDP is off the friggin' chain compared to anyone, but it's fucking painful. Like no matter what you do, everyone goes away and, you know, sometimes it's dying, but oftentimes it's just moving or forgetting to stay in touch. We're, we're just always doomed to be alone with these brief punctuations of togetherness uh, that we have with some certain people. And then they just leave us with more scars once they slip away. And I've been thinking, what if we just, like, didn't do that? Couldn't people just stay in the areas they grow up and not go off to college and not move away for work? Because I kind of think that would be better. I just, I don't know if it's viable in the modern economy. I guess I kind of wrote like a screed about this, but maybe this is just the thing that we have to power through for a few more decades until we have like amazing flying cars or transporters or something and distance stops meaning things because like maybe this epidemic of loneliness and meaninglessness that we have in this century is like the equivalent of the blackened skies and burning rivers that they had during the beginning of the industrial age. It's just a really shitty cost that we have to pay in order to get onto the next good part of industrialization that uh, either our descendants or us, if we manage to solve aging, get to get to and enjoy later on. I, I have at least two and a half thoughts on that. And cool. One is it's interesting how, you tie it to like the economy rather than like to other necessities of life or something. Right. But right. People tend to travel for school or work. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, if it wasn't for that, people would just stay in their hometown. Most mm -hmm. of them, many people I think like leaving cause then you're not down the street from your parents anymore or something. Um, sure. Yeah. But you know, like I, I don't know where most of the people I went to high school are like, I actually went to dinner with a friend that I knew in all through most of primary school last night. Um, oh, cool. But like <laughs> part of what we talked about was like, I don't remember anybody from high school. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, so it's, it's just kind of funny how that stuff shakes out. But uh, the, the other thing, you know, so like, yeah, you can look at it as like, you know, brief punctuations of togetherness that leave us with scars when they slip away. Or you can look at it like Val does of like leaving a trail of happy memories. Right. Yeah. And, you know, just, you know, so like the thing is I did have friends in high school, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> But I'm not friends with any of them anymore, um, you know, with, with a possible exception of the person I met last night. But like, it's it. I'm glad they happened, even if like I was sad that we weren't friends anymore. Like, I remember when I was in fifth or sixth grade, when my friends moved and it was like to, you know, Loveland, like 15 minutes away, but different school. <laughs> and for, before you could drive, that's, you know, a yeah, thousand miles. It's the, yeah, it's the entire world. Right. And so like that bummed me out. But I wasn't cognizant enough at the time to have a thought like this, but that doesn't, you know, even though like it hurt when my friend moved, I wouldn't have wanted not to have been his friend. Right. Mm -hmm. It was worth it. You know, even if it hurt, like, I think that's just how, I think that's how it works. And the other thing, just to put like another positive spin on it is like when you 
move to go do stuff. Sure, you leave people behind, but you also meet new people, right? It's not like you start with ten and they just dwindle off one by one. Um, you get to add. No, that, you get to add to the group. That is absolutely true, and it is a thing that I believed for a long time. But uh, it it seems like the further you go in life, the harder it is to make connections with new people. And maybe it is like you were saying the whole deadening of your emotions thing, and you need to drink a rejuvenation potion to get those hormones going again. But it just it seems harder to connect to people and to form those friendships. As life goes on, that maybe it's true. just because we aren't put through traumatic things like uh, like school together. I I mean, I made this is the craziest thing when I went to the uh, Scientologist thing. Um, what was it? The Writers of the Future workshop uh, was funded by the Scientologists. Didn't actually have anything to do uh, with Scientology, really. Aside from this one time, they tried to tell us that Hubbard was great. <laughs> but for the most part, <laughs> for the most part, the Scientologists were uninvolved in the whole thing. Uh, but I met five other writers there and we stayed actually good friends. I think we're still in contact. We uh, plan to see each other every now and then. And it was just five days, but it was an intense five days where we were in like strange surroundings in fucking the heart of LA, which is a weird place in itself surrounded by some Scientologists, which is kind of weird. We had to latch onto each other for like some semblance of normalcy. And we went through these writing challenges together that were kind of, I don't know, strengthening. Maybe we just need more things like uh, I, I hear fucking the army does this to you, too. Maybe you just need more shared challenges and traumas to to bring people together. And uh, I mean, I know people generally don't want trauma and they want their lives to be comfortable. But if the only way you can become friends with someone really strongly is to go through some kind of crazy stuff together. Maybe we should have some more of that. I don't know. I think I've gone to something. I worked at a bank for six months and... I hated my coworkers, but <laughs> we had a, uh, I think it's because I also really hated the bank. Um, and I, you know, I hated them in the sense that like they were part of their, they partly represented this job I hated. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But also like there were definitely never people I would like hang out with, but there was a sense of camaraderie because we're in the trenches together. Right. Mm, yeah. And you know, it like there, there is a sense of, of kinship there. And, you know, maybe you don't have to necessarily do that through trauma per se, you had like train for an Ironman competition with somebody, you know, yeah. um, like, or, you know, do the equivalent of that, but with writing, um, like you did with five people in LA. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that, that you, I think you're definitely onto something there. Uh, you know, people, I think grab each other as life rafts to get through shit. And that's how you get to know each other. You know, like I'm friendly with coworkers. Um, my last job, uh, well, the one on account restoration hardware, uh, you know, I'm friends with Brian. Um, but mm-hmm. before that, you know, there were two people I'd never met. Well, I guess it doesn't matter. I'm getting too in the weeds about it. But like we exchanged phone numbers, right? Mm-hmm. We we were we were friends. And I've heard from one of them since I left once. And, you know, I could reach out more, but I don't. It's just like, you know, we were friends while we worked together, and that's fine. You know, that that part's over. Um and I don't mourn that the loss of that friendship, you know? Uh, it was just there while it was there. And now we are on to other things, but it is interesting. It's, it's it's weird because like my first few jobs, uh, I don't know, up through the end of my twenties, I guess I did make a number of friends and I thought that like we would stay friends and I felt close to them and I still remember them. But the fact is like once 
any of us moved on and got different jobs, we did quickly fall out of contact. And I think, you know, in, in my 30s, I just stopped making friends with people at work because, you know, I knew I'm not here for the long haul. This is just what I do to pay my bills. And as soon as I can, I'm not working anymore. Or, you know, if I get a better offer somewhere else, I'll go there. So it stopped being a thing where I even really had work friends that I would consider friends that I would go out with outside of work, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because I it just it made it harder to have a relationship at all. Yeah, it for me, it's weird because, yeah, my my first job, like my first professional job in this industry, I guess I haven't talked to any of them in like five years. Um, mm. and I don't expect I ever will again. Uh, you know, one of the people I used to work with, I work with again. And that's not a coincidence. That was from another job. But the uh, like I'm I'm making friends at this one, I think. You know, to the extent that I can, when I I maybe will meet them once or twice over the next few years. Um, but you know, we're on video calls, we work together, and I like that. Like I I like knowing that you know, oh, she has she has two cats, I have a cat. You know, like it little things like that. Um, mm. It it maybe it's because I'm home all the time, and so it's nice like having pseudo friends through work. But <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's one thing when you you know, if like you go to the office. I remember that back in the days. Um, and like, you know, they're not like necessarily people I would call to hang out for a sleepover or something, but it's like, Hey, you want to grab a a drink after work? Yeah, you bet. Let's do it. You know? Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. We're friendships. It's, you know, life. (laughs) It is. I brought that uh, up really eloquently. Nicely done, Steven. Well, they, they do talk about what they want out of lives and, uh, they decide that they will go their separate ways that, uh, Uther will go or Arthur will go to earth and June will go back to Arab. And, uh, Arthur says, you want to stay on Arab because you see that it's a better life for the same reason. I want to return to earth. And just a couple paragraphs before this, June was talking about like how he didn't like bittersweet endings. Uh, they both get their wish in the end. He gets to June goes back to Arab, which is the better life for him. And Arthur gets his better life on Earth. And that's great. And it's just, it's tragic that they can't be together in their better lives. You know? I think June was pointing out, pointing at different stuff with like, you know, fantasy authors being too weak to stick to their guns and, and you know, admitting that their fantasy universes are actually awesome. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the fact is like, they can't go back to the way it was, you know? See you at school on Monday, right? June doesn't want to go back to Earth, and Arthur won't stay here. So it's like, yeah, the, it it's bittersweet. They both they both get their own happy ending, but they have to cut an important thing out of it. You know? Yeah. Um, I was gonna. I can't remember the lead up, but it doesn't actually matter because it just says, "I've enjoyed visiting with you." He said, unprompted. You're the only one that wasn't a part of my adventures. The your, your creations were, and it's been nice to be with someone who shares the deep past. It makes you think of them like reminiscing about sleepovers and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And June says, thanks, but you're still leaving. You're still going back to Earth. And Arthur says, and you're not coming with me. For all that you profess to be torn apart at the thought of my death. For all that you worked to bring me back. For all that you're willing to say goodbye and never see me again. Mm-hmm. And uh, June brought it up about how he'd used Arthur's death as like a golden ticket to give up on everything. I think I kind of already touched on this. It's just that part of june spiraling after it was like oh finally an excuse to just throw my life away right to to give into depression but the other thing was the actual just shit reality of arthur being dead right yeah yeah that really is a big deal yeah and so you know he 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 
dramatized it for his own, like not, you know, not consciously, not, on, not on purpose or whatever, but like mm-hmm. he, he let it ruin his life. He kind of encouraged it to, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But you know, so the, yes, this time he's saying goodbye and never going to see him again, but it, there's the key difference, right? Yeah. And that he's, he knows he's having a life. He's out there. gets to do stuff. And he's having the life he wants, the life that he considered to be a good life. Yeah. That's awesome. So right after this, June says, you're still going back to Earth. And Arthur's like, and you're still going back to Arab. You know, it's it's not like I'm abandoning you or you're abandoning me. For all that you profess to be torn apart at the thought of my death, for all that you work to bring me back, for all that you're willing to say goodbye and never see me again. June says, yeah, I guess so. I suppose when you put it like that, I seem like a pretty crappy friend. And Arthur says, no. That you think it takes a bad friend to say goodbye is perhaps why you're here. Uh, I think you have the first comment on this, so I'll let you take it. You go ahead. Okay. Well, um, I'm with June that separating is crappy. Uh, And so when June says, I guess I'm a crappy friend for being okay saying leaving you and going back and not following you to Earth. I don't think he's a crappy friend, but like I understand and agree with his emotion that it feels like accepting that separation feels like accepting evil and good people don't accept evil. They rage against it. They fight against it. They make the evil not happen. And so just saying like, yeah, I guess I'm not following you feels like accepting an evil thing. And that feels bad. Like it feels like the therapy was, you have to realize that it's not accepting evil to say goodbye. You have to just be willing to say goodbye and accept it as its own separate thing that isn't evil and to me that feels a lot like accepting being defeated rather than getting better and i don't know if that's just like is that what growing up is just learning that you have to accept you're going to be defeated sometimes you can't rage against everything you can't fight against everything sometimes it just is too big and you're gonna lose and you get to accept that and congratulations you're mature now it's kind of shitty it is i wonder you know, their circumstance is different. You know, June literally annihilates any chance that they have to ever see each other again. Um, yeah. You know, like imagine you've got a friend, you know, that you're close with and they've been offered the opportunity of a lifetime, but it's a job in France. Mm-hmm. You know, it's several hour time difference and a continent away. Like on Earth, we still have like, you know, Discord and phones and stuff and whatever. So like you, you'd you'd be accepting a diminished version of a friendship if you wanted to accept that or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there is there is a way to like say no. I'm I'm actually just happy for you. Like yes, this will suck and we'll see each other less and you know possibly fall out of touch. But like you're you have the opportunity to live your best life and that's worth worth it. You know. I mean, I think you're right, and I think you do have to accept that. I still think it sucks. It could, it can, it sucks it can that, still suck. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. That, I don't think Arthur's saying it doesn't suck. Um, I think that June June isn't saying that. Uh, when I put it that way, it sounds like it sucks. He's saying it sounds like I'm a crappy friend, and he says, "No, no, no. It, you know, it, a cra- it, it. You're not a crappy friend because you're saying goodbye, right? Yeah. He might be a crappy friend if he said it didn't suck. Yeah. Um, but it can. It can. You know, the fact that it sucks is part of what makes it a good friendship. Uh, that's true but uh i guess yeah i guess that that is part of maturing is accepting that the world can have some sucky parts and you i don't know like it it, 
it feels to me almost like I'm saying the fact that the concept of distance exists is shitty. <laughs> <laughs> and when I put it that way, boy, does that sound stupid and immature. But also, the concept of distance existing is shitty. <laughs> you won't be happy until we all occupy the same cubic millimeter of space time. Uh, I mean, yes. Isn't that what orgies are all about? Trying to instantiate that? I, I know uh, what you, I know what you mean. Uh, and yeah. I, I do see the disconnect in what we're talking about. And I, I, I'm cognizant of it while I make my kind of like quasi counterpoints. It's, I mean, I think I think you're right in this conversation between the two of us. I just don't like it. <laughs> well, and that's 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 fine. Like, I think that like, I don't think I like it either. Um, yeah. I think that that's. I think the difference, and I think that you're right, is that like acceptance is the first step towards failure, right? Yeah. And so, you know, you don't want to. Maybe, maybe it's that you don't want to train the habit of accepting bad things because then you're like, you know, the next bad thing comes up and you just accept that. But it's like, oh no, actually, you could have stopped that one. Yeah. Right. So you definitely don't want to just train the habit of every time something bad comes up, you're like, well, that's life, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I totally, I totally feel you on that. I think that you're right. I think that for me, I think I, I just try to, I look at the the things that like I can have a potential of adjusting the outcome of or whatever. Right. And yeah. if I can't, then it's like, okay, well, how do I, how do I rationalize this so I can still be happy? You know, I've lost more friends than I have or something throughout the course of my life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I have friends that I, you know, I, care deeply about and like i think that it's interesting because like i don't feel like it diminishes the ones i had like the friendships that i have that are gone right yeah no definitely not but it it's weird you know like you'd think if they really mattered i'd have tried to keep them going longer and i never did um but i don't know it's weird yeah i don't know people are weird part of me feels like and this is you know (laughs) This this is a, a character to the person I met again last night, but you know, oh yeah, you know, I wish it hadn't been so long since we saw each other. And what I didn't say was like, bitch, you've got a phone too. Like, <laughs> you know, nice. why am I always doing all the heavy lifting, making plans happen when, yeah. you know, we, we could both do it, but to her credit, we're going to, I think go do uh, top golf next week. Oh, awesome. And I've never done that, but I drive past it every time I come back from Fort Collins and it's like a four-story building where half of the walls are missing and you just shoot golf balls off or you hit golf balls off of it. Oh, sweet. Oh, yeah. It looks like a great time. Cool. So I'm, that sounds like a, it'll be a, a, a fun afternoon, especially if the yeah. weather's like it is today. Um, I, think, I think it's a problem that I try to stick with a morality which does not work for humans and which breaks humans. I think that is stupid of me and I should probably not do that because that's, that's what June is doing here. Like if I don't fight to be with you forever, I'm a crappy friend. That's not that's not a morality that humans can exist under. I think that's that's an important realization. And maybe that's what I'm doing is like like in abstract principle I agree with you, but in but in point of fact, I know that that's not the way that things are. And so I'm like, okay, well, given the way things are, how could I make this worth it? Right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. I I can't it sucks because I don't want to just say like I'm right, you should do what I'm doing. Um, but, <laughs> but I think you're, you are right. And I probably should be doing what you're doing. Well, I might be, but I, 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 you mentioned like the, the romantic aspect of depression or something, but there's something inspiring and, and something about like, uh, um, whatever kicking and, and fighting. No, I will not go gently into this, you know, shit future. Fuck you reality. Right. 
Yeah. Um, it's so there's, there's something, something about that. That's catchy. And, uh, I don't know. Um, it's, life's confusing. I guess it's just, I, I, try, I think I just try to find the paths that I can find the most happiness in without being deluded, delusional. Yeah. You know? So like I yeah. could be delusional and be like, Oh no, I, you know, I'll see all my friends again in 50 years or whatever, or like, you know, find some insane way to frame my, my perception of reality, but I don't do any of that. I just like, okay, well, given my best understanding of how things work, how can I also maximize how good I feel most of the time? <laughs> mm-hmm. But maybe that does come at some cost of realisticness, right? Maybe I give up some shade of realism, realistic, whatever acuity. I, I, I think your way is more realistic, probably, at least in, in implementation. Well, maybe. Um, and, you know, maybe think maybe my opinion will change, but... For now, it's working for me, and I hope that it's the kind of thing that works for for most people. Um, I think the raging thing is something that we want to see in our heroes because it's inspiring, but also heroes uh, generally don't go heroing for fifty years at a stretch. It's it's probably what broke Arthur here. It's uh, you you get the hero for distinct short phases of your life, and if they go on too long, you die, and then you become an awesome you know martyr that has great stories told about him. But it, it doesn't work as a long term being alive strategy. Or you become a villain. Or you become a villain, yeah. Or you just burn out and give up like Arthur. <laughs> right. <laughs> which which I can totally support. Um, yeah. This, well. This was the, uh, you know, we'll try and, I don't know, get through the rest of this. But uh, this this was the long live the king, you know, capstone moment you were talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. Where he takes a steadying breath and strides forward. And he's dropping his guns and gear as he's going. And it's, it's cinematic, right? He's walking from this dark, pitch dark area after a nice, awesome hug and walking towards these lights and obelisks and stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. he was the hero of air, the man that had practically been worshipped. His name spoken in reverent tones. And he'd, be, he'd been reduced. He had reduced himself to mostly a mostly normal teenager. The crystals in our heads were dormant in the hell mouth. I could feel that. Oh, yeah. So I guess it doesn't work here. Um, he had a skill with a sword and wisdom beyond his years, but even that might be stripped away from him. It was, in a sense, death that he was choosing, or at least an afterlife. It was the final escape from a burden that couldn't be shouldered forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I. It's a beautiful scene. It, it like makes me happy that he's finally going up into the... Wow, I just realized he is literally raised into the light like someone ascending into heaven. Right. <laughs> that's that's pretty fantastic. Um, it's kind, I think, kind of funny when you think, just to put a bit of levity on it for a second, when they discovered the Hellmouth on the Earth side, people just fell 40 feet and died. Like, <laughs> yeah. they, they, had, they had to build this infrastructure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, yeah, it, it. I think this makes an interesting point about hell, I guess. and. Wow, I just realized what a literal, you know, rising from hell into heaven that this is. But uh, for, like, hell is a place that's literally worse than death. Like, that's the point of hell, right? You get tortured after you died because death wasn't enough. Um, And it's a place where one would choose death over continued existence. Um, And the interesting thing here, I think, is that, like, there can be some existences that would seem pretty great from the outside, but that people experiencing them would consider hells and would choose death to escape from them. And I think this is, this is kind of what we're getting here that June is saying in a sense, like if he gets his memory wiped, it's basically death. He's choosing the, the man that was Uther dies and is gets to be replaced by uh, Arthur, the teenager in his afterlife on earth. Um, 
it's like this final escape. And that's when I was, you know, suicidal. That's how I always thought of, of suicide as like this final escape. If anything gets too bad, at least there is that escape valve there that I can use. And like, it kind of brings up the question if Uther would choose death or a type of death rather than living on Erb, which seems would seem pretty awesome to most people to be the hero of Erb. It kind of brings up the question of like how many lives of regular people on just on plain earth are basically hells to them because they wouldn't choose them. Like, is it a lot? Is that why there's so many people that are deathists because they're just looking forward to be being done with life and not having to go through the shit anymore. The same way Arthur was just like, I'm done with this. I don't, want the shit anymore dying is better than continuing it like <sighs> to, to answer one question that you put there which is how many lives regular people on earth are basically hells mm-hmm. i'm prepared to um confidently assert fewer than pe- fewer than people think um i think that some people think that their lives are basically hells and aren't worth living but i think some of them i think at least some of those people are wrong yeah and you know cause some of those people are depressed and when they get the right meds they'll be like oh i was i was wrong um but also like I think there, there's an important thing that like life can suck, but it's, it's the life is also the condition in which things can suck. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, granted things get bad enough. Yeah. Kill me. Um, right. But it's, I, I guess I don't want to lean too hard into that point. Cause the, you know, what June didn't do here, what the story isn't ending on is June bottling Arthur so that he can slowly fade into oblivion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he is going off to try and have a life, even if it's, uh, even if it's a reset of these years, right? Yeah. Like, and that, and that's what Arthur wanted too. If Arthur wanted, he could have set up some contraption next to a volcano where, like, he spikes himself and his body slides off the, you know, uh, whatever apparatus mm-hmm. into a volcano, and then the jar sits there for three years until he evaporates, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, that could have been his escape, you know? Yeah. And I thought of that in three seconds. I'm sure you could have thought of a much more fail, fail-proof solution. And yeah. so, uh, but he didn't He didn't want to choose death. He wanted to choose the life that he wanted. But I'm sort of just dodging your question. Um, no, I think, I think it's a good point that when I first wrote this comment, I was feeling a lot more down than I am feeling right now and just got to thinking, you know, if even Uther could consider his life not worth living and wanting to escape it, then how many other people just living normal lives are like, this is a life of drudgery. And why would I want this? I'm only keep going because I have this fear of death and instinct to survive. And I think that's a very, it's a very depressed person kind of opinion. And so it's like a depressed person question to ask how many people are doing that. And like, I think what the candle does a great job of portraying all this, which is why I was thinking it, but, but you're probably right that uh, it's not that many people. Most people are fine. Well, I think, uh, I, I guess I just want to make it in my mind. It's like what Uther's doing here is different than just like deciding not to exist, even if that's part of the risk. I think that what he's doing is more akin to like somebody, whatever, setting their social security card and passport on fire and just like fleeing the country. Right. Okay. They're yeah. like, and the, throwing the cell phone in the river, like they're, they're going to just like, cause the thing is Arthur's excited about what he's going to get next. He's but not, he's, he's also- not, he's not just stoked about the relief right that is that is part of it but i think that he's he's also excited about like i get to go finally do my thing but what he's wishing for also is that 
his entire memory of air be erased like basically a suicide of the person that was uther just so he can go back to being arthur like if he kept his memories that would be different but he doesn't even get that at least he doesn't want that he wants it all to be gone i think the main reason he wants that is because he knows he'll never be able to have anything like he, he can fake a real life if he kept his memories right mm-hmm. but he could never have one because he'd always be 40 years older than everyone else around him and yeah. you know, like he'd go to school but he'd be you know thinking about all the you know thousands of broads he was banging back when he had all those magic powers <laughs> right. and like i think there's something about you know just like yeah i couldn't relate to my i couldn't have the life i want if i kept these memories you know yeah and so yeah it is it is the death of uther but you know he's he's choosing it um and it's the birth of arthur yeah well, as June watches him go, he says, I started to cry, but only a little, a few salty tears rolling down my cheek, the kind of crying that could be wiped away and leave no evidence. All that for just this. And my interpretation was that he meant by all that, the entirety of his time on Arab and everything he's done and lost and sacrificed for just seeing his friend briefly for a couple days and then leaving him again. And just how crushing that feels in the moment. And I think sometimes there's thoughts like that. The, like, all that I've gone through just for this wreckage that's before me now, was it worth it? Like, I think it's, again, just a wonderful depiction of depression. I don't, I'm not even sure if it's just depression. Like, this is grief, right? This is when you lose someone, that kind of thing happens. But I guess the difference is that like grief that just stays for years and years and doesn't go away is depression. And this work conjures up that feeling so well. I, I just love Worth the Candle. It's it's fantastic. And I wanted to touch on that. I, I no, it portrayed this did. feeling wonderfully. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because like I'm taking it a different way. Um, yeah. Like, and I'm probably motivated to because I want the reading that I want out of it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I went into this story, uh, and when I learned kind of what one of the themes was going to be, I I was like, it, I'm gonna, try, I hope it does what I want it to do. Yeah, and so I'm kind of maybe shoehorning that in, but I don't know if I am. Like it says, all that just for this. Like maybe you know what is just this, and so I think this this might be. Yeah, it was like the 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 one night that they got to stay up hanging out and chatting, but. It was the beginning of him being able to get closure, right? I see. He could be thinking all that for just this and then releasing him to go up into heaven. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, I did all that so I can realize this moment. Yeah, but I don't know if, if like processing grief or accepting it or whatever is like a thing you do all at once. I think it's a thing that you give yourself permission to do and then like it takes some time. Yeah, I think this absolutely. is him giving his, giving himself permission to like be okay with Arthur not being there. Yeah, and so is, that doesn't make it happen immediately. He's going to miss him, but like now he can at least start working towards being okay with it. Yeah, that's that's my take. My admittedly a, probably motivated take. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a very good take, and I think that was the purpose of Arb for June, and therefore also the purpose of Worth the Candle. Uh, I mean, I love how well it portrays depression because I like seeing myself reflected in that way. But I think you're absolutely correct that it was it was here so that 
a person suffering deeply from depression and grief can move on from that finally. That was the purpose of it. I hope so. I mean, we've got a little left. I'm not sure how much left and it's possible the DM will step in and ruin and, you know, shit on my dreams. But, <laughs> uh, like what's, what's funny is, uh, you know, you didn't know how this was going to end when we picked up this, this podcast. Right. Um, so it's, it's, I don't know what, what's funny about that precisely. I hadn't finished that thought. It's just interesting. You know, you didn't know where we were going. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I want it to, be the happy positive message ending and so maybe maybe i'm reading for that rather than just reading what's there but i don't think i'm like misinterpreting stuff we, oh, might, I, we, 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 we might be interpreting it differently but uh so no actually i do think this is a positive ending um like i i think it's a portrayal of of depression but also and grief but also that this is a good ending and this is how a depressed person would experience a good ending. They would still be sad, even though it is happiness to it. Like the, it's the bittersweet thing, right? The, he gets to go, he gets to have his life. I'm also never going to see him again. Was it all worth it? And I mean, the answer is yes, but there's still, you're going to have that, that depression still pushing on you and looming and, and making you feel sad at the same time. But no, I agree. I don't think this is a bad ending. I think this is a, very good ending and they did both get what they not just what they wanted but what they needed uther got more what he wanted because he has more the traditional narrative and june got more what he needed because he has more the postmodern narrative it is it is interesting that they got different endings i mean presumably um i wonder you know again like i i think that this is going i think this is june's you know uh, he finally finished tying his shoes so he can take the first step towards feeling, you know, better w- with everything, right? Yeah. I think that's what this moment is. Like, it's not him just accepting his depression to live with forever. He's like, okay, I can start getting through this. Yes. I no longer have to be that bitter, horrible person. And I think he was already on the on the way to not being that person, but he needed this last, last unlock to remove that last block, you know, to see his friend go and have a life after all. Yeah, there, I mean, I think just being on Arab and doing all the stuff could have led to, you know, him putting that behind him, but like not with the proper closure like this, right? Yeah. Um, there would still been this Arthur-sized hole in him. Um, he was given the chance to say goodbye that he had been denied all all that this time. Yeah. Um, well, without he doesn't have anything else to do there, so he descends with his shoulder companion. Uh, the toad went with him all the way. Uh, mm-hmm. And never stop being a toad. Um, <laughs> but uh, he destroys the Hellmouth. Uh, I guess the door, whatever. So there's like the landing, the the first door. I don't know what you call it. Um, he destroys that on the earth side with the Vorpal sword. Like, so it, he doesn't just like break the door. He annihilates it, leaving a void, right? Yeah. So there's no connection between Arab and earth anymore. Yeah. And... I think it's only the second time he's destroyed something on a metaphysical level with the sword. And both times I think were hugely significant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think with the fell thing, it was him finally forgiving himself for, you know, I don't think he, I don't think so much of like his guilt over the fell thing was like one time I was a dick during a DM session. I think that was like the epitome of his just like lashing out to hurt his friends. Yeah. And so I think him destroying fell utterly was him forgiving, forgiving himself for that. And destroying the door might just be like, I'm not going to hold on to this anymore, right? 
Yes, like, I'm letting it go. Yeah. That's I just I, I knew I wanted to just call it out as significant even if I haven't finished thinking about what it exactly symbolizes, but I think that that's probably on the right track. Yeah. No, you're that's exactly it. You have to at some point just let things I hate to use the word let it go because it's become such a cliche since Frozen, but to move on with your life and not not let it control you and define you forever. And he's yeah, he he's done that, I don't know, like by making it impossible to have second thoughts about it yeah yeah exactly no i like it um bethel comes back online as they're making their way through the landings hooray yay she's alive and Mm -hmm. uh there was a nice moment she says i missed you know it was like being drunk or asleep i missed most of it i only hope that i helped and he just says you did Mm. so they've got closure Mm -hmm. Um, he buys a hat for the toad because they got to buy stuff at the wet market landing and uh first off i'm sure he looks great in the hat and <laughs> he says that i wondered quietly what his purpose was but then decided that he was a locust and maybe his mere existence was enough to justify him not everything needed to have some grand purpose that's where Uther had gone wrong sometimes things just were mm-hmm. and maybe that's why they uh um maybe that's why the doe was a, you know the locust was a doe and a companion and stuff right mm-hmm. like not everything has a reason man I really like that. And it also makes me think that this is this is also what people are, right? Like people don't have to have a a purpose. Their their mere existence is enough to justify them. And you know, it makes me think that locuses, if they're the incarnation of people, god damn it, now I'm giving them a purpose. Ah, I'm ruining it. I was gonna say that maybe that's why they don't have numbers on their souls, because they they aren't things that you can quantize. They're just people and that's enough to justify their existence but uh that sounds like i'm giving them a narrative purpose again and i shouldn't do that i did the same thing when i said that's the lesson of the locust right i mean i think we we can't not look at the thing because it's not supposed to be you know if it's thing is like oh yeah i don't make sense well then Mm -hmm. you're like oh okay then i could draw a lesson from that oh wait no i can't because you're not supposed to make any (laughs) sense whatsoever Um, right yeah you're just you're supposed to say okay not everything has to make sense and, mm-hmm. you know, that's why you're a fucking toad rather than like, you know, a dwarf or an elf or something, right? Mm, like, human doe hybrid. Right. I mean, oh, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that would have made more sense, right? But yeah, no, he's, he's, a, he's a toad. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like Fen was a good example of like an anomalous character when she was brought back, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's unclear because June doesn't have access to his companion. No, she got her perks back, so she's still a companion. Um, mm-hmm. But like it's not clear what her purpose was in the group, right? Not like yeah. it was before. And so like, sh- but she has the same sort of thing. But so I think the, the locus is just like that, but more obvious. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Yeah. Um. So anyway, he, he gets out, he's got the candle uh, and he lights it and Raven's just like, why will, why do you think this will work? And he says, it'll work because it's over. I did, th- I did the thing that I think I was put on air to do. I swallowed Which thinking was, about Uther going off to an uncertain fate. He says, I said goodbye. And uh, it's interesting that he thinks of him as Uther there. I think that's to help like with the emotional distance, which is a drag because he shouldn't be doing that if he's finding closure with his grief. But uh, yeah. I'll give him a pass. <laughs> Maybe he was primed by Raven talking about him as Uther. Everybody else thought of him as Uther. So that's what he was doing. But I think... 
I think you're right. It should have been Arthur. I, I missed that. I, I, they, I had gotten so used to using the two names interchangeably that it didn't occur to me that he used Uther there instead of Arthur. I probably only caught it because I read the last few paragraphs of this like five times. But on the plus side, I didn't finish reading it till last night because I knew oh. you told me that it was that it was going to be a, a you know you're like sorry man brace yourself for cliffhanger mm-hmm. or something. I'm like okay, well that plus the days would buy fast. So um, yeah, yeah, I was only sitting on this for like you know. 24 hours nice totally right yeah and and the end here was a fine spot to end on just because you know i had the emotional climax now i'm just curious but everything goes black and white and then uh or no yeah yeah uh i think whatever everything fades away then it's all white it's not black and white he's in he's in the void and then there's the dm wearing a little paper party hat and he <laughs> blows a little party horn and he, I'm sure he has a shirt that says, you know, cake and dice cream. But now we get to figure out what's going on. I'm assuming at the end of this, I kind of feel sadness and apprehension because I don't want it to end. And I guess it's got to end. Right. I haven't feeling that way for a while. Yeah. Like since basically the long stairs, but then they were fun enough that I forgot that we're coming up on the end. But now it's clear that we are. I don't know how many chapters we have left exactly, but I bet it's very few. I think I'm at 96 or 7% on my phone. I can check. To me, it was like when he said, it'll work because it's over. I did the thing that I was put on air to do. That's when it finally really sunk in. I was like, yeah, he did. There's no more story to tell. We are, we are at the end. Yeah, there's no more story, but there are hopefully some answers or explanations. You know, maybe the yeah. DM will say, oh, yeah this is who I am and here's why I was a dick and here's how I got you to air and here's the part of your memory that I showed you that I redacted. Maybe now we can finally scratch the itch of, you know, so I got the emotional closure that I wanted from the story. Now, hopefully yeah. I can get the Ravenclaw closure that I so desperately need. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we are right here at the end, this is your last chance. If you want to make any guesses, predictions, what you think or hope is going to happen Oh. Any any final guesses? Shit, I should have thought of that. Yeah, you're right. I, I could have spent the last 24 hours thinking of this. Um, the thing is, we made such a compelling case that the DM is June that like I'm almost sure it's not him because of how strong the case is for it, right? <laughs> nice. But the thing is, like, it it's probably some version of him. What The thing is, Arthur said something um, when June says, I must be a crappy friend and Arthur says, no, I think that the th- that you think it takes a bad friend to say goodbye is perhaps why you're here. Um, Arthur's saying that through his everything is narrative goggles. But what he's essentially saying, if you're if you're not looking at it in narrative goggles and you're looking at it in paranoid goggles, is that he's like, you're here in therapy because of thoughts like that, dude. Um, yeah. But I think that those aren't in contradiction for Arthur like it doesn't have to be one or the other right it could be both Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like no of course there's a why why are you here and why isn't it raymer right it could have been him right um Mm -hmm. so stuff like that but what other what other mysteries am i missing who's the dm were there other people sapient um i sure hope so i don't have any i don't have any new thoughts on that did this chapter end on like a chapter break where you had time to sit and think or was it right into the next one for you uh i believe it was right into the next one for me that's so nice of alexander he could have left y'all. I mean, we haven't seen like a end of book, whatever, in a while, which I guess. Oh, no, it was end of a book when he went to hell, wasn't it? Just before. Yeah. Right when he died. That was uh, okay. Book. Yeah. 
because I forgot yeah. about that one. And then it, then it had been like a long time. Well, I don't know. All right, man. What are we doing next week? Well, we we will be reading the next two chapters next week. Is this the only time we've only done two chapters? Maybe there was one other time that we only had two. Uh, but yeah, these these are big chapters, so I figure we'll probably have a lot to talk about. Uh, the next two chapters are 246, Reflection at the End, and 247, The End of the World. Hmm. Well, that sounds fun. Uh, yeah. The End of the World sounds like good news, actually, right? In yes. In this context, <laughs> it sounds like, yeah. you know... That's what Amaryllis so, has been shooting for this whole time. Exactly. The DM just showed up. He's got his party hat. I assume he's got cake. And they're going to, he's going to answer all his questions and then he's going to hand him the car keys at the end. And then June's going to destroy the world and save it at the same time. Mm -hmm. Well, that's super exciting. Thanks for doing this episode. I know it was a a bit of a heavy one, um, but it's been a fun project and we still got some time left. And even when it's over, Inyash, and we don't, we're not doing this every week. I'm still, I won't regret having done it. (laughs) I did. I'm. I did tell Rachel, like, you know, I'm at like 96 or 7%. She's like, oh, no, what are you going to do on Tuesdays? And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to miss doing this. Uh, yeah. I'm like, I guess I'll do fucking nothing, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure something out. Or you'll figure something out. I don't know. It's not the end of the world. Nope. It was a fun thing that we did. Hell yeah, it was. But we got some, we've got some, we've got some aftershocks, you know, after the... Epilogues. There we go. Yeah. Epilogues. Yeah. All right, man. This is great. All right. Well, our Patreon, you can still click on it and give us uh, some money for the just this last month or two that we're doing this. If you want to do that, uh, there's also Alexander Wales's Patreon. Buy his stuff because he made this stuff that makes us feel all these things. And uh, we'll see everybody in a week. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. And I mean, major shout out to Alexander. I mean, so much of this is written in such a way that like you have to wonder some of it had to have come from personal firsthand feelings and uh i don't know articulating them into a captivating and gripping story um it's hard well yeah it's got a, it had to have been hard but i'm trying to say it uh it's helped at least one person so oh fuck yeah man i am sure he'll be extremely happy to hear that oh i don't know <laughs> but right, sounds well, good i'll see you guys uh back here in a week okay bye, bye. thanks <laughs>